Hi, I'm Eric, also known as TrekkieV47, from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, it is. No need to apologize. I never do. To listen to the show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And a tiny piece of business, we did have an occurrence of Word Snapper's words last week. Eric Berry, thank you for your submission of the word spoopy it was a nice little short one so i hope you all found it if you would like to submit some word snappers words you can go to our patreon at patreon.com slash walloping web snappers at any tier level if you are a patron you can submit a short word or phrase of complete and utter nonsense that we have to incorporate into an episode it's that simple heck yeah the show we are watching for the final time, well, not really. That's not totally true. But discussing um, in a in a proper format for the final time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. Uh, is spectacular Spider-Man. Um, and if you would like to watch along, or if somehow you got to this point and hadn't decided to watch, but just decided to watch, yo, I don't know how on. you got to this point, but yo. you you could go find the DVDs. Uh, you might, if you're lucky, be able to find the Blu-rays. And definitely could find it for purchase on most digital platforms. And it's worth it. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. It's it worth is. it. It's a very, very good show. This is a very good season finale. Not a very good series finale, but a very good season finale <laughs> as it was originally intended to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely not a series finale. That's for sure. We haven't talked about this, so I have no idea what your thoughts actually are on any of this stuff. <laughs> and I'm so like... Ooh, it's been such a long road to get here, man. It's been so... <laughs> I mean, I don't, had, I don't know if that I, was a nervous noise, but I don't know what you would have to be nervous about. I realized as I was watching and preparing for this that there was, in fact, much more pressure than I realized in uh-huh. approaching this episode uh-huh. for, for me. I don't know where you, <laughs> what it would be for you. <laughs> I mean, it's more like a jittery excitement. I guess. But it's also, I was thinking about it, and it is weird because my experience with the show is so different from yours, and most people's experience from the show is probably different from yours in that, like, we've dug so deeply into it every week, you know, since the beginning of the, almost the very early in the podcast. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm curious to hear how some of the reveals in this episode hit with you, and if it's any different than, you know, those of us who were just watching it live at the time or whatever, um, um, weren't picking the show apart as much. Without getting specific about anything, I do think the way that we watched it probably affected how I viewed it. But I, I imagine that it is closer to how folks would have watched it week to week than if somebody were to get it now and binge it. 
Like, I, I think, think I'm having fair. a closer experience to watching it week to week than someone in the year 2020. Which I think is fine, because it was made to be a show that's watched week to week anyway. So that's cool. That's cool. I, I mean, yeah. I, still think it, I still think it probably affects things, but I think we'll get to those when we get to those. Yeah. Yeah. Let's dig into it. We've got so we'll have some some fun production notes and quotes and stuff to go through throughout the episode. Um, but this is a, a wild ride of an episode. As the last episode, there are very few notes at the beginning. So yeah, <laughs> get ready, buckle up. <laughs> yeah. So this is the spectacular Spider-Man, the final episode, season two, episode thirteen, entitled "Final Curtain." The synopsis per IMDb, the final one we will ever read for this show. It's so long, um, but I'm going to miss these as well. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Spider-Man has his hands full with unusual crime activity coordinated by the Green Goblin. Now his crime lord competitors have been eliminated. It's not, not bad so far. Uh, <laughs> as Peter, he worries with Norman Osborn about Harry, who finally confesses to them he fears to be transformed by the globuline he got addicted to. After establishing some crimes chronologically can't be Harry's doing, they discover the complex truth involving globulin creator Donald Menken, mm. who has fled Oscorp. They were doing so well, minus, like, grammar. Like, I'm not necessarily going to fault folks, like, purely yeah. for grammar. Yeah. But they were doing so well, minus that, until until the very end there. Honestly, that's probably the best one <laughs> we've ever read for this show on IMDb. It's the which... closest to being an actual synopsis and the closest to having, like, accurate information yeah. included. <laughs> and not just being nonsense in some ways, which is, makes me so much. Even another another point of sadness for the show getting canceled is that this writer was clearly improving. And maybe by the time the show got to like season five, they would have just been amazing at writing these oh, IMDb sure. synopses. I'm sure. Well, the international air date for this episode was March 18th, 2009. In the U.S., it did not air until November 4th, 2009. It was aired as a one-hour series finale with the previous episode opening night. But just to, mm. as a reminder for how this show is just fucked over at every turn, we didn't mention it in the season premiere that this episode, even though opening night was aired just fine, this episode in some areas, especially if we're watching an SD did not have the dialogue track for some reason, and no one has ever figured out why. So, Having seen this now, that's incredibly more hilarious. Right? Right? Yeah. Man. We know these people, but it's written by Kevin Hopps and directed by Victor Cook. Indeed. It would be ridiculous to introduce a significant character at this point, so there aren't any. <laughs> we know everybody. <laughs> yeah. And this episode is interesting, too, because it is really it is a very narrowly focused episode, which we kind of I think you use you, you suspected back last week that because opening night was so sprawling and used so much of the supporting cast that this yeah. one was probably going to be a little more tight. And it definitely is. It's a really it's interesting because there's just like just a, a couple of really long scenes and then a few short scenes scattered in it. And then that's it. Like it's a very tight straightforward like down to the uh to the basics episode but it also like every scene is also like kind of ground shattering um at at best and like has a lot of information uh at, at the very least so like there's a lot happening in this episode even though it's very straightforward and very tight 
there is a lot happening. I don't know if I would agree with the assertion that everything included is ground shattering. <laughs> no, not not every. Not, I didn't. I don't mean everything. I mean it's either a scene has something kind of ground shattering, or something that shakes the status quo up, or at the very least, it's something that's providing information to what will be shaking up the status quo, or something ground shattering in a later scene. In my opinion. I'll have questions for you. <laughs> I mean, even as... Okay. All right. <laughs> I think that this would have been a very different show in the third season because of all the stuff that changes in this episode, even on like quiet on, on kind of quiet terms. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> That's not what I'm challenging. <laughs> but uh, I think there are things uh, that could could have been cut from this episode that don't really make much of a difference or offer that much. Uh, to what's happening (laughs) not that they aren't necessarily fun but not that they serve much of anything Mm -hmm. cool well let's dig into it (laughs) yeah because i don't know what you're talking about so let's let's get into it then i uh, yeah i'm i'm really curious i think that's that's what i mean when i say i think there's a lot of pressure coming into this episode because on top of it being the last episode of the series it also is sort of the the cap to the second part of the episodes from the first season where I had the most to say, although I did go back and listen to those. And I think the legacy of me having things to say about Green Goblin is a much bigger beast than the things I actually had to say. So yeah, um, we'll tie it all together. <laughs> I did re-listen to the uh, the Uncertainty Principle episode, our episode on it, and took some notes because there are some really funny things that were brought up that like, mirror like in this episode that i think are really fun i'll bring up later for sure all right let's do it um this episode opens with spider-man confronting a group of pumpkin heads i'm not sure that they were ever called that before but we recognize them from the first season Mm -hmm. um there's just many more of them so these are the the sort of minions or goons that had pumpkins on their head the first ones we see in this episode are i think the same ones we saw last time i only say that because one of them has a bow Yep. Um, and one of them had a bow last time. But there's many, many, many more of them. And we get an explanation for this like right off the bat. So Spider-Man's confronting these pumpkin head goons. They're moving really heavy artillery, stuff that sort of looks like a grenade launcher. But you can expect probably has some sort of twist because this is a Spider-Man show. And he's reflecting on recent events that kind of got him to this moment, which are the events that shook up the criminal underworld. He explains that the group he's fighting with is the fifth one that week, and that with the Goblin uncontested in this sort of underground crime war, he and his goons are running rampant. So there is no check or balance in the underground crime world to Green Goblin. Yep. I like this. I don't... Did did they have the spiky balls in the first season? Like the little... Like the spiky balls that they shoot out? It's it's like the end of a mace without the actual thing you swing it with. Yeah. I'm not sure. I like them, though. <laughs> I think they're fun. I like when the show does workarounds with uh, with weaponry, you know, since they can't just use guns with bullets. Um, yeah. And that's what they end up using in this, like, fight sequence that, that we end up seeing in this teaser. Like, that's actually, I think, kind of their primary weapon in this, in this whole opening sequence. And it's fun because it's like, I like that the show offers, like, staple guns and... The tops of maces without the handle. <laughs> well, it, it, it is. It's like, it's funny because it's a workaround. But when you think about it being a workaround, like that's still brutal as hell. Like it's just yeah. unfamiliar. So it's not like you can't point to it and be like, that's a bullet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like no exactly. one gets hit with any of them. But if they did, like they just wouldn't have a head anymore. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, right. <laughs> this show has done things similar to it, and I like the way that this show depicts those types of weapons because in the Venom versus Spider-Man fight this season, Venom did, minus the spikes, the sort of like cannonballs that sort of funked and like landed in the side of the school. Mm-hmm. I like that stuff. So yeah, these are these are fun. Yeah. So as he handles these pumpkin heads, very easily, by the way, because they are all just goons, Spider-Man kind of beats himself up for not being able to find and help Harry, who he's certain has relapsed because nobody knows where he is and the Green Goblin has has reappeared running the city. So after he webs up the pumpkin heads, he's like, yo, where is the Green Goblin? Like, tell me where he is, where his hideout is. Like, I just need something. And they're like, we don't know, man. Like, he contacts us. We have no idea who he is or where he, where he operates out of. And understandably, Spider-Man is like, oh, gosh, darn it, like, again. And so you know that he's sort of been trying to shake shake these guys down at each one of these locations, trying to find any shred of information um, that he thinks will lead him to Harry or the Green Goblin. And obviously that is very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would think. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But we cut from that to later that evening, we see Gwen... And she's just, like, studying, which her way of studying is literally just, like, reading a biology book as if she was, like, reading a novel, by the way. Like, <laughs> no note-taking or anything, just reading it. She's going to be that kid in college that has, like, a rude awakening because they just sort of soaked everything up like a sponge in high school. And then they're like, oh, no, I have to study. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> How do you study? <laughs> Either either that or she just is legitimately reading her biology textbook for fun, too. Like, that's why. Oh, Who knows? Also totally a possibility. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be real. But, yeah, she also gives a little – a nice little um, glance and smile at a picture of her and Peter that's in her room just before a pebble hits her window and she finds Harry standing outside asking her for help. Look at that. Mm-hmm. That's all it took. Just read your biology book and Harry will appear. <laughs> yep 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 so opening credits feature this is totally expected for this episode gwen harry and norman and gwen gets a new little title card you know the only time we'll ever see this one but presumably would have been her main title card going forward with her new look which is more different than the last couple episodes that we've seen her she's still kind of tweaking with uh with how she uh wants to look going forward which is fun I didn't go back to check this, but I'm curious because I figured you might just know this without me having to, like, pop into every single episode and, like, check. But are other characters slightly changing, too? Is anybody else looking older or is it just because they're next to her and I'm projecting that onto them? I never picked up on anyone looking older. Sometimes I feel like Harry looks taller than he did in the first season. That's my biggest sort of, like, suspicion is that... If I were to go back to look Mm -hmm. specifically at somebody, it would be to look at, like, very early Harry Osborn versus right now Harry Osborn. But I can't identify anything obvious. Yeah, I think I think that would be I think it is possible that they maybe draw him like a little bit taller now. Mm -hmm. Um, It it is hard to tell, though. And, it you know, it could also just kind of depend. Sure. But that would be the only one. I I haven't noticed anything different with anybody else. It would be rapid. I mean, like, for them to change without something like Gwen, where she's literally just changing, like, how she presents herself, like, not her actual, like, body. Like, it's only been, you know, X number of months. So, I mean, you know, gross spurts aside, I wouldn't have expected it, but, you know. 
Yeah, and I like I like what they've done with Gwen too. Because I mean, we've talked about it a little bit that they haven't they've done nicely to sort of treat it as her sort of like gaining her confidence and stuff and a self actualization thing more than just like I got a makeover and I'm hot now. So it kind of makes sense that her look would be a little bit tweaked over time until she sort of settles in something she's more comfortable in. Which this current look does feel like a, a nice median between. You know, her previous, like, bag. she has the baggy pants that she had pre-makeover, and her hair isn't, like, totally styled and isn't in, like, the total blowout mode that it was. But it all still, like, looks, it's not, it's also not messy, and it, like, looks like she's, like, putting kind of care into it. So it's it's a nice, like, mixture of everything. And then, obviously, for the meta of it, she looks more like the classic Gwen Stacy with the hair band and, like, sweeped over bangs and everything. But I sort of like that little evolution that they've done with her. Is this her, like, sweater vest and polo shirt thing? Yeah, I yeah. I think that's so ugly. <laughs> I don't love it, but I think that it that A sweater it's... vest with a short sleeve polo shirt, girl? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it looks like a mathlete uniform that you would wear yeah. for, like, a competition, not, like, just because you would wear it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I like her miniskirt outfit that she was wearing in the episode before this a lot better. But it also fits Gwen's character a little bit because she isn't, like... MJ probably got her a couple of, like, really nice outfits that are really fashionable. She wore them a couple of times, but then it's just like, I guess that's fine, but this is also comfortable. And she puts the baggy pants on, and, like, the sweater vest is like, yeah, this looks like my my mathlete uniform, and that's formal, right? So I'm going to wear this now. Like, I don't know. I think it, like, it weirdly, like, works for her. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's... From a character design standpoint, it tells a story. I'm just... Yeah. From me to the character, Gwen, that's ugly. I agree. To the character designers, like, yeah, I get it. I know what you're doing. (laughs) It works. (laughs) I would really love to have seen going forward in future seasons, like how much they changed all characters or if they only kept it to like specific ones, because they're obviously not afraid of like changing people's clothes and stuff. But the only time we've ever seen like a full redesign of a character is when there's like a pointed makeover and character arc happening around it. Yeah. But I would be really curious who else that happens with over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 not knowing anything, I would, I would assume it is entirely dependent on how much time passes over the course of the series, or if they ever do jumps. Right. Otherwise, I wouldn't expect it based on the pace they're going right now. Yeah, very true, very true. But it's nice, and like I said, love that they change your title card to match it too, because I love any time they play with the opening credits. Just sad that it happens one time only for it to never happen again. So at the Parkers, Peter is talking on the phone with Liz and he is apologizing to her once again, this time for missing the school play. And she is understandably frustrated and understandably suspicious and basically says, like, I I hear you. It was work. But I got to wonder, like, would you have missed it if it were Gwen? And I love that she just asks it outright. And this is what's wild about about Peter Parker, right? He's like, I would have missed it if it were Gwen. I would have missed it if it were Aunt May. Like, I, I was so tied up with work. And what's so weird about Peter Parker is that he's such a bizarre character with such sort of, like, odd priorities that don't necessarily fit, like, expected social norms for, like, high school kid that she's like, okay, yeah, I mean, I guess if you would just miss it for literally anybody important to you, like, that's fine. (laughs) And so, like, he convinces her, basically, he was, like, he is, in fact, sorry, because, like, no, I would have missed it no matter what for literally anybody. You aren't 
special in this scenario. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. But it's... it all flows well together because it's Peter Parker. And it's not it's not outside his character. And she knows him, right? And has yeah. forgiven him too many times already for the same type of shit. So, of course, she sort of, like, warms up and is like, okay. Like, yeah, okay. I, I, I get what you're saying. And, and, and they are on better terms than whence that. That's not how you use whence. Conversation started. Yeah, it still is kind of, I mean, it breaks my heart to see that she's got, like, a frame picture of her and Peter from their sort of, like, pseudo first date from the first season, like, right by, on her nightstand. Yeah. I'm sure he absolutely does not have a picture of her on his nightstand. Like, it's just so, it's so sad how kind of, like, one-sided the relationship is. And and we and it's, like, it's, Peter isn't a terrible person or anything. He's just a confused teenager, and he's just not handling all this very well. I'm sure he likes Liz, but he doesn't, like, love her, you know? It's just so sad because, like, Liz tries so hard and it's just wild to see, like, how how good she is to him to the point where she fundamentally understands him so much that, like, this insane troll logic of it doesn't matter if Aunt May was there, like, I wouldn't have been there for anyone. You don't matter, like, actually, like, is meaningful to her because she understands that in his language, yeah. like, that means that she does mean something to him at the same time, so... It's just like, oh, God, she's so she's such a good girlfriend. It sucks. Yeah, no, she's <laughs> she's incredible. And I think one of the things that's so wild about this is, like you said, he's not a bad person, but he does treat people poorly. And like, that's yeah. not necessarily a surprise with Peter Parker, because we understand his extenuating circumstances. But one thing that's bizarre about this being the final episode of this series is that when all is said and done with this episode and thus this series, I personally don't walk away from the series rooting for Peter Parker as an individual person with a social life. I'm like, wow, you are not somebody I'm rooting for right now. This doesn't make me walk away feeling good about you at all. And I know that that's baked into what Peter Parker is, and it's part of the journey, and it's part of his growth and the education of Peter Parker. But it's, it's really weird to be so early in a show that obviously was intended to be longer and have long-term growth for this character and have it chopped short at a point when you're like, like he hasn't figured it out. And so he's still hurting people. <laughs> you're like, yeah. oh, yikes. Especially <laughs> like, oh, when you compare it to the first season too. Like it sucks because it, that's like, as much as I love the second season a lot and I love this episode a lot as, as a season finale, the first season finale would have been a really satisfying series finale if it got cut short at that point because it's so hopeful and sort of, like, teaches Peter a really fundamental lesson that he's needed to learn and is sort of like, you have friends, people love you, going forward, you know, maybe you'll improve and things will be better. And, like, you still believe that. This is just, like, obviously a very dark period this season is. But if it had ended there, it would have been, like, that's a nice ending to the show. The fact that it accidentally ends up ending here instead, it's just such a much more painful hopeless ending for it compared to the first season's hopeful ending. So it's like, I feel so conflicted because like nature versus nurture, it could be like, this would be a fine se- series finale, not a perfect one for this show, but it would have been a nice, a nice one to leave with an open ended ending. Right. Well, it depends on what part of the story you're talking about because there's Peter Parker and there's Spider-Man. And I think it's different for both of them. Right. Like I think for what Peter Parker specifically was going through with those types of relationship questions. Yeah. That, I mean, that, I think that's a great ending. But here, with that specifically being the only thing, like if if that's the only thing you're looking at, it is a yeah. very bizarre way to end. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's all it's wrapped just... up in so much that it makes it so hard to 
put a period on on a, a judgment like that without actually getting the period of the show itself. Right. And, you know, this season was very cl- like well, this this episode is very clearly in the relationship and is meant to be sort of like all of Peter's kind of mistakes throughout the whole season piling up against him. And then this is just how it collapses is all of the bad stuff that happens with it in this episode. So like which, you know, is, again, great for the culmination of a season long story and something that theoretically would teach Peter a lesson in how to deal with girls and deal with relationships and deal with people in general and the complications of them going forward. But the fact that we don't get to see that, it just makes it really hard to watch. This is the arc of pain after all. I think this this episode does not skimp on that. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, let's pick up on that again at a point that I know you already know we're going to talk about and exactly what I'm referencing, but like, I want to pick your brain more on that because one thing we do on the show because we deep dive so hard is we talk about like like we speak to the writers like outside of the the universe itself. We speak to the characters inside the universe. And then I think to a degree we speak to the audience as well as far as like what's the connection between those two things and what's what we're supposed to get from it. And I think that is a meatier conversation deeper into the episode from this conversation we're having right now. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> about sure. that culmination point, because I, I want to explore that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So after he actually gets off the phone with Liz, Aunt May uh, doesn't even walk in. It really seems like she was there the whole time and Peter just didn't even notice and is like, oh, hi. And Peter's like, oh, my gosh, did you hear all that? And Aunt May's basically like, I hear a lot of things and finally <laughs> delivers some like Aunt May wisdom on the situation <laughs> and says, you really need to be honest with those two girls. And in order to do that, like, you really got to be honest with yourself. Figure it out, dude. And he's like, huh. <laughs> Thank you, Aunt May. Where have you been all season? Yeah. We needed you. For, she's, for you've so barely long. been here. And the second that you show up, it's just like, oh, truth bomb. Anyway, bye. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> come on. Yeah. I'm glad that I'm glad that she gets a scene this episode. Like, I'm very, I'm so happy that we didn't have to end the show without seeing her one more time. She's barely there, but she is here and she gives a very vital piece of information. So I'm glad that we got one last look at on May. For sure. Oh, while we're here, it's weird to bring this up on the very last episode, but it's a, a little tidbit of trivia I didn't learn until I was doing like other research around this show. Mm-hmm. But I remember way, way, way back in the first episode we covered of this when we were talking about her her actress, Deborah Strang, and she didn't really have a lot of credits. The reason she didn't have a lot of credits is because she's like a theater actress primarily. Mm, that makes sense. It does. And the way she was found was I think it was Greg Weissman saw a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream that she was in and really liked her a lot from that and kept her in mind to cast her as Aunt May. There so another another Midsummer connection for this show. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Peter doesn't really get a lot of time to like really ruminate on this because right after that truth bomb from Aunt May, Gwen calls him asking for help. And we immediately cut to Peter meeting Gwen at her place where he finds Harry waiting in her living room. So obviously he's been searching for Harry as the goblin this whole time. So this is kind of um, weird for him. So he has to remind himself like, okay, stay calm. Spider-Man knows Harry's the green goblin. Peter absolutely does not. So just kind of play it cool, right? But luckily he doesn't have to play it cool for that long because Harry full on shares everything about his addiction to the globulin green, the blackouts, and being green goblin. Yeah, just unloads everything. And Peter, I mean, I like I like Peter's reaction because he 
gives himself advice to be calm and then isn't and then catches himself and you can tell he's sort of like struggling in the way that you would expect yeah facing somebody who's you know like he has he has other times this this season too facing a a huge huge villain but not being able to acknowledge it (laughs) well it's funny because he's almost he like convinces himself to stay calm but then he ends up being too calm because harry's just like and then i became the green goblin and peter's like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh i I mean what like (laughs) yeah i know it's like a full pendulum swing from like okay be calm stay super calm all right swinging back in the right direction then these next events it gets like too much right because basically what happens next is Harry's like, okay, so that's what happened. Here's the thing that's weird now, though, because stuff's still happening. Harry goes on to explain that the reason he's been missing is because he was kidnapped by the Green Goblin, which is weird, right? Because Harry's the Green Goblin, of course. So Peter, this is where the pendulum swings all the way in the direction, and he's like, wait, there's a second Green Goblin? I think this might be where he slips and says Gobby, which would be a weird thing to say as Peter, so he, like, corrects (laughs) himself. And is like, uh, uh, another Green Goblin? And, like, even stands up and is like, (gasps) so good job staying calm, buddy. Um, (laughs) But starts to, like, try to figure things out, right? Because this is, like, a shocking thing. So he says, like, well, hold on. Like, either this is a second Green Goblin or, like, are you sure, Harry, that the thing you just told me about isn't happening all over again? Like, could you be blacking out again? And this is where we get a little bit of resolution from something earlier in the season Harry says, I can't be the Green Goblin. I had a stash of the stuff, and I actually destroyed it. Like, it's not possible for me to be the Green Goblin. And we cut back to that scene that ended one of the episodes where we saw him, you know, pull up the rug and pull out his stash, kind of like think about it, and then we got the shadow. Well, this extends it by like just a second, and you see the the globulin green flying at the wall at the shadow and shattering. So, well, if it's not Harry, then what, everybody? Gotta be Norman, right? At least that's what uh, Peter thinks to himself. So, a couple of things. I want to address the set dressings of Gwen's house and Harry's house for a second since it's the last time we're ever going to see them. Harry's room has an entire arcade console in it, which we see in his little flashback. Of course. Cool for Harry. Gwen's house is just decked out in pictures of Gwen. Which, like, (laughs) I guess I get because she's, like, an only child and her mom's dead, so her dad probably is putting it up. But it's still funny, like, literally every shot there's another picture of Gwen and, like, one of – like, a character model. And, like, all three of her character models are, like, displayed throughout the house in different scenes. It's just really funny. My favorite is the one from The Night of Valentine's Day because it has another picture in the background of the picture of her parents. (laughs) Which I like. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, there's one shot of the episode where you see all three of her character designs. You see her current one, and then in the background you see her old one in one picture, and then the Valentine's Day picture in the other one. And it's just like, look how much she's evolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like those pictures. They're very detailed. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious of like tracking your thought process throughout this because I know I know previously you're already like potentially suspecting that this season was going to have a different goblin than harry but trying we're just trying to not like ruminate on that <laughs> very much like, why? <laughs> yeah but like so what's so obviously this is like right off the bat being like you were right like what what's your i mean we can if you if this is easier to just like save it till the end we can but i'm just curious like as this episode unfolds because it's meant to obviously confuse everybody and throw as many red herrings and like weird twists as possible until mm-hmm. the end like what's your thought process at this point early in the episode at this point, there isn't really much of a reaction or a thought process because 
you know, I, I was saying because of our, our discussion last season during the Green Goblin stuff, the smart thing for me to do as a viewer who knows that he is supposed to think about this show a lot so he can talk about this show is to expect and sort of actively remind myself to expect the more conventional outcomes because this is still an adaptation of something, right? And it would be ridiculous to change literally everything we're familiar with. So um, once it was established that it was Harry in the last season, my active reminder was to be like, okay, we'll just roll with the fact that it's Harry and anything else will be sort of a surprise. It's impossible to completely trick yourself, right? So I think it was, you know, even as as we were talking about this season, you even identified it right now, there's obviously suspicion that there could be a second or different Green Goblin. So when this rolls up, it was still sort of like, it was still sort of in what I was expecting. Like it's either just going to continue to be Harry, which is where, you know, I'm going to keep my active expectation, or it's going to be the one that I was sort of like tucking away, which is like, all right, it's somebody else, which makes more sense and is better for the story overall. Like if we got to the end of this episode and it was Harry, I might've even said this already on a previous episode, but like if we got to the end of this episode and it actually was just Harry, like, okay, cool. Like that's what I told myself to expect and we got it, but I would not have been happy. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I think, you know, I think the way I was describing it was like, if you're going to keep doing the mystery of the Green Goblin, like you better keep it fresh. Um, And this episode certainly, certainly came in with that goal. So, yeah. So at this point, I was just sort of like, okay, all right, like, let's see where you're going with it. Well, I'm glad that they get that out of the way really early where it's just like, okay, yeah, you're probably on to us or think you're on to us. So here, Harry's not the Goblin. Let's move on. Like, (laughs) but it still doesn't, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't say that he was never the goblin or anything. It's more like he's at least at the very least not the goblin right now. Well, the one which I thing think is important. this episode does that no other Green Goblin episode did except for the unmasking of Harry Osborn was show us something specific, which is him destroying his own stash of globulin green. Like that changes yeah the status quo unless they're going to do some real wild gymnastics on us. You know what I mean? I dreamed that I smashed it. Oh no. (laughs) I'd throw this whole show in the trash. (laughs) 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 They're so much better than that. They would never. (laughs) No, no, they would never. But yeah, you know, so there's the whole Norman factor hanging over this because Gwen suggests Harry confide in his parents. Peter and Harry both respond in unison. I don't know, which I I love that. that. I love that bit. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Gwen's like, dude, talk to your dad, which, you know, in a normal circumstance would be the thing to do. But this is a very abnormal circumstance, right? Totally. And and like I said earlier, Peter's thinking about like, I did initially think that Norman was the Green Goblin until I was proven wrong and that it was Harry. So I, I don't know. Maybe he is actually the, the Goblin or involved with the Goblin. Either way, I don't know if like involving him is going to help. But he figures if Harry is going to talk to his dad about it, which it seems like that's what he's going to do, he should crash the conversation as Spider-Man just in case. Yes. We also get one more little flash of the spidey half face on Peter's face for good measure in this show. <laughs> for some measure, some sort of measure. <laughs> for some sort However of measure. However you want to qualify that. <laughs> for some sort of measure. Look, you know what? I made it very clear. I don't like when they do it. So this is no surprise. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. no point to it. We know he's Spider-Man. Why are they doing that? <laughs> 
What's, I what, really think what does it, it add? This, what is going I think on? At this point, it literally is just meant to be a comics homage. Like, that's all it is. Like, it's meaningless otherwise. So, <laughs> Which is fine. It's just and, – and, and to be fair, it hasn't really happened much at all in this season. I don't even remember the last time it happened. So, you know, see if they just throw it out on every season finale or something, fine. There you go. No, you I still comics. don't like it. Get it, out, get it out of my TV show. I don't want it. Get it <laughs> off my TV screen. Scratch it off my, my eyeballs. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a personal preference thing. It doesn't hurt anything. It just doesn't add anything either. It doesn't. It doesn't. I honestly forgot that it ever happened until we're watching it again cause, and was just like, oh, Doug's going to hate this. Cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, there's enough other stuff going on that it's. It's. I think it's a little easier to ignore. Like, particularly the king and queen of bad timing happens <laughs> right after this. So yeah. after, <laughs> yeah, I know this is, this is what you were talking about that you wanted to dig into more, right? This is where we're going to revisit some conversation. <laughs> I, I think that that's fair. I agree. So after, you know, Harry leaves Gwen's place to, to go talk to his dad, he, Peter begins to follow. They have one of their usual awkward exchanges that they've had all season where it's just like, oh yeah, we shouldn't be alone. I should leave. Let's go. Um, like a mutual recognition that like they don't want to be together alone and, and start hooking up because they're hormones, right? Yeah. But uh, before he walks out the door, he remembers Aunt May's advice and then he's like, no, honesty time. He turns back and immediately, immediately just dives right headlong into just laying out everything that happened this whole season that like you kiss me. I don't know how I ended up with Liz. I don't know how you ended up with Harry. That all sucks. But the point is none of that matters because you, Gwen, are the one I want to be with. And separate from everything else, the, all the bad timing and everything and everything else is going on. It's a sweet little moment because, you know, they have a little glance at each other. Gwen, like, has a hard time, like, looking at him and has a really nice smile. And she tells him, Peter, I've been in love with you since the seventh grade. And it is, in a vacuum, really, really sweet and nice. It's well animated, really well handled, in my opinion. Like, the facial expressions are all great. They lean in, they almost kiss, and then Gwen, thankfully, stops them and explains, no, not behind Harry's back or Liz's. So they agree to break off their respective relationships first so they can finally be together. But of course, because this is a teen drama, after all, Harry actually hasn't fully left. The window is open. And so he even so he's at the front door just outside, hearing them through this open window, having listened to the entire thing, and walks off very angrily. Oh yeah, understandably. Uh huh. <laughs> Do we think he was like waiting for Peter to leave? Like, I mean, that's pro- I mean, probably, I think so, right? Like, probably so. Hey, I wait, mean, Peter's not out here yet. Like, I guess I'll just wait for him. There's two suspicions. Yeah, <laughs> there's two suspicions that we could have. Yeah, waiting for Peter to leave, and maybe he was going to say something to Peter in private, or just walk home with him. Yeah, I would also honestly buy Harry being perceptive enough to know that there's a spark between Peter and Gwen, and know that Gwen liked Peter at some point, and maybe be a little bit suspicious of them being together. Maybe he wasn't consciously thinking, I need to wait here to make sure they don't make out behind my back. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if maybe subconsciously that's like. Maybe I'll wait for Peter outside by this open window where I can hear everything they're talking about. That'll be fine, right? And, you know, like, I could see that being a thing, having those wheels turning in his head, even if he's not consciously thinking that. Okay, so I want to revisit something I started to talk about, but I think makes more sense here to talk about. And I'm going to break things into, like, different lenses, right? So the first one I want to tackle is the characters in the show being human beings. 
because I think it's the easiest one for me to talk about. From that yeah. perspective, purely, this is great. This is great. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how humans are. This is how teenagers are. This is, I mean, they're being as messy as a 15, 16-year-old whatever is going to be when they're figuring out their feelings and stuff like that. So no complaints with that. To address this situation being created, right, like being written, that's great too. The job of the writers is to make us feel stuff. And if you're not feeling something here, whatever it is, like I don't know what in the world you're doing because this is like obviously a really tense or something type of moment. Like this is significant. Here's the thing that's sort of weird though. And this is where I'm talk like where I started to talk about like how I walk away from this obviously unfinished product, not a dig, just the reality with like weird feelings is like, we really like Liz. And I think we've been given material to like Liz. And I don't think we're even meant to question that to the point where we, you and I have had conversations about like, If Liz and Peter stayed together, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Like, they're actually, like, a relatively good couple. And as far as, like, partners have gone, she's way more forgiving and understanding than lots of people could be. You know what I mean? Like, aside from other very serious long-term partners, which is weird when you have Gwen Stacy right there. So then at this point in the show where you have Peter agreeing to break up with Liz in order to be with Gwen, he's breaking up with a character that we've spent a lot of time with. I think actually, especially this season, more time with than Gwen. Yeah. All all positive. (laughs) In order to be with Gwen, who this season has been not super prevalent, but not, not offensive, right? It's weird because I don't know what the show is wanting us to feel. I suspect that – and this this is where I want you to tell me if I am just, like, programmed wrong or something. <laughs> okay. I think that this is supposed to be, like, super romantic and we're supposed to be like, fuck yes, they're figuring it out. Hell yeah. Let's go. But to me, I'm kind of like, this kind of sucks. <laughs> like, like – I feel like this isn't really like the solution, I guess, but, but, you know, we only have so much information. So like, I guess the first question is like, what do you think we are supposed to feel in this moment? Is it like rah, rah, let's go romances in the air? Like, hell yeah. I think, I think you're, I think you're being a little binary about it because I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think that this is very romantic, but I think given the events of this episode, I think hammers in that it's not supposed to be fully exciting because they're in they they put themselves in a really shitty position where they can't fully engage on their happiness without some ounce of selfishness and hurting other people and we see it go very badly in this episode how they have to handle it in order to be together to be happy theoretically right so i do think that this is it's presented romantically because we like gwen and we know that peter likes gwen and we know that they would be happy if they were together so we are happy for them on that surface level and again it's a really nicely romantic moment music's cute it's well animated. They all look they look happy when they almost kiss. You want them to kiss because you want to finally like get rid of that fucking tension that's existed for two goddamn seasons. So you want it to happen, but I don't think that anybody expects you as an audience member to be in that moment without knowing in the back of your head that there's something wrong about it. Because like I said, 
Two seconds after it, we see the boyfriend that Gwen has said openly, I need to break up with him to be with you, hearing it and being angry about it after a moment of telling them, laying out his trauma that he's been going through, and it's continuing to go through. And then, like, what, one or two scenes, maybe three scenes later, we see the the breakup with Liz, which also is not is, – is very messy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think both of those feelings can exist at the same time. And I think that that is the intention. And I think that that's just like very good complex writing and, and, and setting up of, of, of this character, these character dynamics. I mean, I don't argue with the complexity of it and I don't argue with the, the sort of like real world result of it. Right. Like I, like if this were happening in real life, like all of that, that would be true. But I don't know that I necessarily, and this is why I'm like, maybe I'm just not seeing it right. In which case, fine. Like, then it's just a a me thing. But, like, I don't know that it's weighted the same. Like, I don't know that all the time we've spent with Peter and Liz, especially this season, feels weighted the same as him and Gwen. Like, I know we've had moments here and there, and they've been significant moments. But I don't know. Like, something about it, I didn't didn't walk away from that being like, oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) we're getting the thing that we've been building towards. I just felt sad like and and there it's like I felt way I felt way worse about what I knew was going to happen with Liz than I was happy about what was probably going to happen with Peter and Gwen. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't I don't think I don't think you're supposed to forget that when you watch when you watch the scene. No, but I think um, if it's complicated, you know. I'm supposed to feel both. <laughs> yeah. And so I just I guess I just missed something along the way or I just or I'm just a Liz stan. Listen, I mean, that's maybe possible. I need to you change just... my Twitter to That's possible. Uh, Liz Avatar and change my my at and just preach the gospel of Liz. That's possible. I mean, that's possible. You, maybe you are just really attached to her. Yeah, because I don't. I didn't feel that way at all. For me, it was felt like the equivalent to. Um, this is going to be a weird comparison, but I think as an audience member, the feelings is, the feelings are similar when you like you watch a drama where like the the character you like like just just starts like making out with like the bad boy that you know is going to be bad for, her, but it's also like. Yeah, but I also, like, I, I know that it shouldn't happen and I hate that it's happening, but I like that it's happening at the same time. Like, I think that that weird, like, mixture of feelings is, is what this scene is trying to evoke. And that's what it does for me. It's like, I'm happy that they're that they're finally, like, being like, I love you and I love you. Like, fucking finally, Jesus Christ. Um, but that doesn't take away from the the... the the feeling of knowing that it's happening at the worst possible time in the worst possible place and it's going to hurt other people. Like, I feel both, but yeah. I mean... Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I could just be wired weird because, like, even the example you gave me, I was like, don't fucking make out with that person. They suck for you. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Like, it's whatever. I would have to watch a whole lot more teenage romance, which I don't watch a whole lot of, to give you a full analysis of my my programming with regard to these types of scenarios. I mean, maybe it's not that you're, maybe I'm the one who's wired weird no, from I don't being think indoctrinated so by all no, no, of no. those teen dramas that I I don't watched. think so because my initial question was, are we supposed to feel this thing? And your answer was, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that's what's weird about talking about the show the way that we do is like, we're never just speaking to the characters. We're never just speaking to the writers. We're never just speaking to the audience. It ends up being this bizarre mixture where we're trying to talk about all of it at once. Um, and that gets that gets weird sometimes. So Sure. Anyway, this is the big thing that makes me walk away from this. And I'm going to keep saying it because I want people to know I'm not dumb. I know that this show is supposed to go a lot longer and it's not supposed to conclude here. But this is the large thing that makes me walk away from this series being like, I don't like you, Peter. <laughs> 
because of the way that you're treating people in your life right now. <laughs> and largely that is motivated by how much time we've spent with Liz. So Yeah. Um, um, but I think that yeah. there's I think there's space for that though, to to be a, more attached to a character than maybe the the show expected you to. Like we're obviously supposed to objectively like Liz, but I don't I, I don't think the intention was when when they were rating it, I don't think the intention was to have anyone preferring Liz over Gwen to be Peter's romantic partner. I don't think so either. That's why I feel weird. Like, I think the, sh- the mere presence of Gwen, I think, dictates that. I still want and him I, to be with Gwen more than Liz. Um, at this point, because I don't. I, so, yeah. So, I mean, that's – and that's why, that's why there are shipping but wars. But at this point, the, I qualify it. You know the, what I mean? Like, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like I don't know what I feel like is missing – or, or maybe it's simply the obstacles, um, and I'm being like too adult about it. I think you're being, I think you're being too enough. adult about it. Actually, I think um, that that's a good way to put it. I think that there's a certain maturity that you have to downgrade on when you're watching like teen drama type stuff because that's the only way you can be on their level, right? Like they, like teenagers are fucking stupid, horny little assholes, and I think that if you're uh, like writing that type of like big teen drama, like not authentically, but like in that right sphere i think that you do have to try to step away from like the lived experience that you've had as an adult in relationships because it is very different and you obviously would handle all of this very differently than these dumb kids would it's hard it's hard to separate that when you're watching it because you also like want what's best for them um well that's why i wanted to lead the way that i did right to say like i get that it's messy i get that these are like this is an authentic complexity, but I don't know. I don't even know. I, at this point, I've lost my own thread. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it all, it all makes sense what you're saying, though. It's just relationship stuff is complicated and messy, I think, is the easiest thing to land on. And regardless of where, like, we individually as audience members land on on how, they've, how these people have acted and how we're supposed to feel, the, the bottom line is that, like, Gwen and Peter want to be together, but they're doing it at the worst possible time. And we're going to kind of see how that plays out here in this episode. (laughs) Yes, yes. Okay. At the Osbournes, um, Spider-Man arrives just as Harry finishes explaining the situation to Norman. And I believe Norman even just straight up says, like, I don't know if we can trust you right now. Spider-Man swings and is like, well, maybe we shouldn't trust Norman. Or I think he says Normie. Yeah. And, And starts to, like, throw the suspicion on Norman. He does cite the secret door he saw Norman emerging from from the previous Halloween. Love the callback. We even mentioned that door uh, when we talked about that episode. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this unless you do, but I do think it is significant that Spider-Man can only point to one thing that makes Norman suspicious. And one of my complaints was that they didn't spend enough time making Norman suspicious (laughs) the first time around. But uh, yeah, I don't really, I don't really know where you're going with it. Actually, that's it. <laughs> One of my complaints the first time was that they didn't spend enough time making Norman a viable suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spider-Man is literally only able to name one thing. Yeah. that made Norman suspicious. I think that's that's on. <laughs> I think that's on purpose, though. Like, I think that you know, I think it's very, I think it's very intentional that there's only one one loose thread that Spidey could point to from that episode. I think it serves this episode, but like. This episode doesn't necessarily change my feeling from the first time around that the satisfying mystery would have been served by throwing more equitable suspicion on two people. Sure, sure. So 
having that opinion, I noticed. We'll have <laughs> to. Like, I think. Huh. I think that we. <laughs> We're flashing back to one thing. I think we'll need to revisit the uncertainty principle in a, in the future, and just because I I want to just revisit that episode. <laughs> we'll do that. I in know. Some form I know. I know. And I suspect that after this episode too, like I I imagine there is a drive to make me see this a different way. <laughs> I mean, it's if not, not from you, from uh, from spectacular folks who who are super into this, listening to this, and I don't know that this episode changes my perspective drastically. That's why I went back to listen to it because I was like, I want to give this a fair, sort of like fair, like where was I, where am I? So, um, sure. yeah, I guess that, that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's more of a end of the episode conversation. Yeah, let's yeah let's save that for a little later. I do like that <laughs> the explanation is that the secret door is just the wine cellar. And I love that um, that the butler just, like, walks out. Like, first of all, it's Harry who's like, dude, it's just the wine cellar. Opens it up. The butler walks out as just, like, Mr. Osborne, Master Harry, Spider-Man. Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> love that so much. So funny. He's just so nonchalant about it. Yeah. And I love that he was, like, just on the way up the wine cellar anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that was that was brilliant. Also funny that they can, like, call out a wine cellar, but – when there's like crime overlords giving a toast before trying to murder each other, they have to be toasting with water. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, was the butler carrying anything out? Well, no, he would just, would have just been carrying a bottle if he was carrying. Anything. I think he had a platter with a bottle and a yeah. glass on it, but you didn't actually see the liquid in the glass. So maybe that's where the line is for the censors. I don't know. It's stupid. I don't understand why that would be censored in the first place. Stupid. <laughs> Yeah, so after that, Spider-Man's like, okay, well, I give up. It's funny because the word, the direction he goes is like, okay, just just tell me, which of you is the goblin? It's got to be one of you. And then at that very moment, the ever-silent Emily Osborne walks through the room before saying anything. Norman dismisses her. Like, literally, he's just like, we've got this, hun. And she just, walk, she just walks away, stone-cold face, expression does not change whatsoever. Yes. Well, it's basically what we've come to expect from Emily. Yeah, yeah. But it is very pointed that he's like, which Osborne is the goblin? And then she walks directly in. Yes. That was very on purpose. Yes. So Norman explains to Spider-Man that he gets where Spider-Man's suspicion comes from. Classic villain manipulation. But he shares that he and Goblin have actually been spotted together. And he cites the night that Green Goblin stole the inhibitor prototype. And he and the Green Goblin ran into each other. And he says there were even witnesses. They saw both of us together. So, I mean, I, I get it, but it can't be me, dude. The phone then rings and Norman ends up dismissing Harry to pick it up and uses this as an opportunity to sort of like aside with Spider-Man and say like, look, I get it, but I also don't know that we can trust everything Harry's saying because I don't know if Harry himself even knows the truth, which isn't a weird thing for him to say given the blackouts and stuff it's only weird because we've heard now from harry at least that he can't be the green goblin yeah and and peter has like a totally appropriate reaction to this which is just like what is going on like i don't i don't understand (laughs) yeah do you have any thoughts in this moment of what is going on while all this is going down or still just kind of going just along for the ride at this point yeah i mean i had thoughts um I, I I don't think we should examine them yet, but I will okay. say, like, when em- – I mean, I noted that they pointed at – like, he pointed and said, which one of you is it? And Emily walked by. 
I guess that's that's the thing I've put in my pocket at this point watching for the first time. Yeah. When I first watched this episode way back, I remember pointedly, I was like, I'm on to you writers. It's Emily. That's going to be the that's going to be the twist. And I thought that until very late into this episode. So, yeah, (laughs) they they got me on that one. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that that was 100 percent what they wanted us to do. Yep. Anyway, um, Harry returns to report that Mencken is on the phone. So Norman's like, I'm sorry, Spider-Man, I have to go get this. And Spider-Man, you know, he's left alone on the balcony and he's just like trying to turn over all the info in his head, talking it over with himself. And as he does so, holy pumpkin aardvarks, a fuck ton of pumpkin bombs explode underneath the balcony and completely destroy that portion of the Osborns' home. So many pumpkin bombs. So many. And we cut to commercial from that, too. Like, it's just a giant explosion and then commercial. It's great. I dig it. Yeah, I'm I'm into it. This is, I mean, this is, you know, based on the last few things we heard characters talking about, this is where the sort of, like, I have no idea what's going on sort of really ratchets up. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So Spider-Man, uh, understandably very badly damaged by just taking that explosion, basically. Um, we see this because his his suit is torn up in a number of places. Is just sort of like hanging from the side of the building, seemingly barely conscious, like is very limp, and wakes up kind of just in time to see the Green Goblin throw a pumpkin bomb at him. And this happens with Harry and Norman. He doesn't necessarily see this, but we do. Harry and Norman standing right above him on what remains of the balcony. So, like, again, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, okay, so Harry says it's not him. Norman says it's not him. They both think it's maybe the other person. Spider-Man doesn't know who to point the finger at. Enter the Green Goblin with everybody on on screen, which is which is great. Yeah, I love it. So the two start clashing. There's a line that stuck out to me that Goblin says, he's like talking to Spider-Man. He says, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do blah, blah to this to you until all that remains is a red and blue stain on the pavement. Like, yikes, dude. Damn. Yeah. Which Spidey is just like, like, I don't know, everybody says that kind of shit to me. Who cares? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but either way, yeah, the two are clashing. Spidey plummets along uh, the side of the tower until he kind of manages to surprise Goblin from under his own glider, webs up his eyes. So he's like blinded by webbing, um, which Spidey's like, uh-huh, you can't fly now. And he, Goblin's like, yeah, so I guess I'll just, you know, fire my finger guns wildly, not being able to see. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Spidey's like, good Lord. But it's enough of a distraction that, you know, Spidey has to get out of the way of him. When he attempts to fight back, he realizes that Goblin has just flown away, totally disappeared without a trace. So, which is not what I was expecting. I kind of expected things to just sort of like go full on at that Uh moment. So I was kind of excited that he disappeared because I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So Spider-Man returns back up to the Osborns and concludes, okay, well, the Goblin clearly was never hairy. And it was clearly never Norman because you were here and I just fought the Green Goblin. And let me tell you that that Goblin was the real deal. And Norman starts to say, like, well, it could have been, like, somebody copying the Green Goblin. But Spider-Man, like, cuts him off and is like, no, I swear, that was the real Green Goblin. And it's not just because he looked like the Green Goblin. It's not just because he had the same weapons as the Green Goblin. It's because he talked like the Green Goblin and he moved like the Green Goblin. Like, I know him. Yeah. Love and that. I do like that. Yeah, I like that too. And also funny, I like I like that Norman's the one who says voices can be mimicked, technology replicated, given what we learned later. <laughs> but yeah, no, I dig that. 
I dig that that Spidey's like thought process. It's just like, I know this guy on a very intimate level at this point. So I can tell. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I like that too. Given this sort of revelation, or at least this like very strong assertion on Spider-Man's part, Harry's like, well, then if I, if it wasn't ever me, how did I end up in the suit? And, and how did I end up set up if that's the case? But Spider-Man is kind of like, honestly, <laughs> we don't have time to dig deep into that. <laughs> yeah. We just need to figure out who the Green Goblin is. So he starts asking questions about the Globulin Green and who all would even know about it because that's kind of how they can create their short list. Yeah, so this question sparks a realization in Norman's eyes, uh, and he immediately calls Oscorp and demand that security grab Mankin. No, grab him. I mean, grab him. Norman then explains that the reason he's having Mankin literally grabbed is that the only people who knew about the project were his own family and then also Mankin. No one else at Oscorp knew about it. So therefore, by process of elimination, it should have to be Mankin, right? Then the security guard tells Norman that Mencken's file was actually fully deleted, and Norman vows to find the man who tried to destroy his son. So the next day at school, Mary Jane ends up walking in on a conversation that Peter and Gwen are having, and it's a follow-up conversation to the one they had about breaking off their relationships with Liz and Harry. And naturally, they act awkward because no one's supposed to know about this, so they're like, oh, we were just (laughs) talking, which would have been normal if they didn't act weird. So Mary Jane's like, okay, fine. She even says, like, do whatever you want. Like, I'm not the relationship police, which is on on brand for her. Mm -hmm. And they act even more awkward being like this is a relationship what are you you talking about we're going to go by and they leave and we get a little like celebration under her own breath to herself by Mary Jane I think she says finally yeah I'm sure this is probably one of the ones you're thinking of that like could be cut out of the episode but I give it a pass because we got one last we got one last look at Mary Jane this season I'm glad even though like it doesn't work out I'm glad she gets a little bit of the satisfaction of like finally those two kids got together finally my mission my long mission finally paid off (laughs) yeah yeah no I I I love the fact that Mary Jane is a, a Gwen and Peter shipper so At lunch, Peter even mentioned to Gwen, like, I'm going to see Liz at lunch. At lunch, Peter ends up breaking up with Liz, which, bro, like, I I know that they're high schoolers in high school, but, like, this is a terrible time to do this. No. (laughs) He frequently makes bad choices, though, so it's not... It's not a problem. It's just, (laughs) Peter, what are you doing? I will say his his breakup, it's not the best, but it could have been way worse. I would have expected it to be a lot worse than it is because he does try to make very clear who's actually at fault here at the very least oh okay i mean yeah it's it's it is bad though like i think it's really bad i agree that Um, it's bad i just expected it to be worse somehow but it is very bad (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess it could be worse in the sense that like he could have done that dumb thing that i feel like honestly only fictional people love to do although i'm sure somebody in real life has done it where they're just like well i'll just be a dick (laughs) And then she'll, I'll force her to break up with me yeah. because I'm so insufferable. So I guess like that would have been worse, but I, think I certainly wasn't expecting anything along those lines. I think I appreciate, I just, I appreciate that like he has enough self-awareness to be straight up. Like the reasoning being that I'm, I just don't think I've been much of a boyfriend. Like, and I don't, I know that that's like, like the bar is literally in hell for that. Like, obviously that should be what you say, but I, I'm. The fact that I think he no, acknowledges that. No, I think it's is not important. what you should say. 
That, it's a, I think that's a bad thing to say. Wait, really? Because he's right. He hasn't been much of a boyfriend. He's breaking up with her to be in a relationship with somebody else. He, she's going to see him in another relationship. Oh, he that's is true. a bad boyfriend, but using that as the reason is basically saying, like, I'm not ready to be in a relationship and then being in a relationship with someone else. He does have self-awareness to put it on himself, but this is not good. No, that's okay. No, you're thinking of it a lot more uh, on a wider wider scope than I was. I was thinking of it very within the spectrum of their relationship, but you're right. He's theoretically, Gwen and Peter's plan is to literally hook up, I guess, the night that they break up with these people. So that's not, you're right. That's well, not great. Like, because that's, that's just only going to make her feel worse. Yeah. That's the thing. I'll give them a tiny bit of credit in that, like, I would expect a main portion or a significant portion of the teen soap opera season three, right, being Peter and Gwen trying to be in a relationship that they are not making incredibly obvious. Because I do think that at the very least Gwen, and this is where I'm at at this point, obviously we'll get to the final part of this episode, but at this point I'm like, okay, like, this is terrible. Like, Liz is going to find out somehow, but I'm assuming they think they can hide it. They can't hide it, especially in a teen soap opera. (laughs) Especially when everyone already knows that they like each other, too. Right. Yeah. Right. In this this episode, literally like 24 hours ago or 48 hours ago, she said, like, would you have done this for Gwen? You know what I mean? Like, so even if even if they did sort of keep it a secret, Liz is always going to be suspicious of of Peter and, and Gwen. So. I agree with you that I I am impressed that he decided to put it on himself. Yeah. Um, it is a little bit like it's not you, it's me, um, but it is also self-aware in that it's true. It's also true. true in the, yeah, yeah. And this is actually, it actually is exactly what it is in this case. Yeah, and it's what we've been saying too, right? And what, what, what he even said, which is like, I don't deserve you. So I appreciate that. I just feel like this is, I mean, he is asked. And again, not a problem with the writing because, boy, would we be in for some juicy-ass drama. Yeah. But good Lord, Peter, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. You are setting yourself up. <laughs> yeah. He gets a little bit of his uh his uh his just desserts in this very scene, I think. As upsetting as it all is. Cause yeah, he goes through his whole little breakup spiel. Liz clocks it like immediately, like, are you breaking up with me? Like before he even says like two things. And then, you know, it's just like, yeah, I think we'd be better off as friends. And they do this like really upsetting like shot where like she's just still staring at him. Nothing moves except for her her pupils to see all of her friends around her who are all in relationships. Like even Flash and Shashan like have their arms around each other. So like they apparently yeah. are official have got become official off screen. And like even Hobie apparently has a girlfriend that we didn't know about. Like like Sally and Rand are there. Like everybody everybody is in a relationship around her, and which you know is only going to twist the knife. So it's very upsetting. And she's like. No, no, I'm not. I'm not letting you like do this to me. So she, she's like, you break up with me, and then creates this like loud scene where she screams at him that she's dumping him, and says that we're through, and then runs off um, in front of everybody. So obviously embarrassing Peter, but again, he kind of deserves it. So you know, but unfortunately, you see an equally upsetting scene in my opinion because she, the where she runs off to is just like around the corner to sit and cry alone. Yeah. I like Liz, so I appreciate the fact that they show her crying after this. I do think, remember when they did the ride-along episode, and I was like, I think Liz was being mean in this situation, and I think she was intentionally poking Gwen, and you were, like, not as sure about that. Mm -hmm. I think that this is another circumstance that if they wanted to 
and I, and again, I I could just be wrong and be way too Liz bias here, but like. I think if they wanted to sort of even the scales out a little bit or at least like give us a reason to like not be fully, totally 100% devastated with Liz. And it, I mean, I, they probably just did want us to be devastated. I think there are little, little bits and pieces that they could have like fleshed out her character with, a, with another tiny dimension that would not have felt weird where – even though 99% of the time she's like this amazing girlfriend who doesn't care about social cliques and doesn't care about Sally's social order, she's still a part of it. And so in like certain circumstances under certain pressures, she's reminded of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like Gwen, when they interacted with each other, I feel like that was a perfect opportunity to sort of insert this, I guess Fatal Flaw seems dramatic, but like Liz has no flaws. Like she is a character... With no flaws. I don't agree with that. What is her that. flaw? I think What's her that, flaw? I think the fact <laughs> she started off the show as like a popular mean girl part of the mean crowd. And I think but that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. They they could have continued to utilize that as sort of like a thing that was a flaw for her um, that would have, I, I, I think, further complicated things. Not necessarily just like nail coffin, Liz, we're done with you, like huzzah. But I feel like there's like little things that that like we're just almost almost there, but like I guess not enough because like. It was like you didn't see that the same way in the ride along episode. But I actually I it was that. I mean, I think it's funny because you convinced me. And I, now that's what I think is kind of the evidence of her dimension, because I think you have that as as sort of like her her mean girlness, like rearing its ugly head. And I think at the beginning of the season, you had a little bit more when before she and Peter got together, when she was like consciously trying to like get Glenn out of the way and like butt into their conversations specifically to get Peter's attention. Like that's, you know, that's kind of an aggressive, like popular girl thing to do part of that archetype. I think all of that stuff is there. And I think that is the extra dimension that I think makes this scene kind of tragic because it's like her relationship with, with Peter and her openness to Peter being like a suitable partner um, or boyfriend is what sort of brought her down, like, you know, brought her down from that, like the popular mean girl sort of um, pedestal that she was on and let her like sort of just see, you know, see not, not care as much for the social order. And I think arguably would make her, made her a better person. And by Peter breaking up with her, like the tragedy of it is that while it, probably is good for them to break break up because unfortunately because of peter's shittiness they're not a great couple the negative result is that of that is that she's kind of going to inevitably revert a bit to her earlier persona that she had because that's all still there which is what we see by her like caring this much about not being the one who's broken up with and making sure that everyone knows it so she can still maintain her social status okay well that was yeah that was going to be my question is and it sounds like the answer is yes is like do you think that this moment was motivated by making sure that she could preserve her social status as not being broken up with by a loser. Yeah, I think so because, I mean, in all season, she's had that tension with, like, especially coming from Sally, constantly reminding her of, like, you're dating a nerd. You shouldn't date a nerd. What about the social status? You're dating a nerd. Why are you dating a nerd? And, like, there's no reason why that wouldn't kind of stick in her head. And I think that at her absolute most vulnerable moment here, especially after, like, a couple of weeks of some pretty traumatic stuff happening to her, I think I think it's understandable that she'd fall back into that well because it's just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not... I need to just, like, be back to where I was comfortable, (laughs) which was to be a fucking, like, bitch in high school. Like, there we go. Um, Like, I think that that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, that is how I read it. And I I figured, and I'm just wrong, I figured that because 
because of the ride along conversation we had that you might not have thought that was the case. Because I think she's also, even if you don't consider it a social status move, like if it's not self-preservatory, I still think Liz could have gotten away with being like, no, you know what? You've treated me so poorly. You do not have the right to break up with me. It's always been in my court. So I don't care what you say. I'm breaking up with you. And she could have done the exact same thing, like not necessarily in public. And I think it would have been justified. Sure. And so I, I I was just curious, like if if that felt like the same thing. Um, yeah. It sounds like it did. It's, I think yeah. Like I think and I think both of the like both of those things can also be kind of true a little bit at the same time. Like I think that those that those types of thoughts also probably were going in her head at this point too. Like I'm sure it was probably a whole mess of just like I put everything on the line for this like geeky little loser that I thought was really cute and interesting, and he's gonna fuck me over like this. Are you kidding me? Like I I and it's it's all justified. I think I think for me like. The ride-along scene, I I wouldn't have even needed that, and I still feel like this would have been justified for me because I feel like that was the the mean girl archetype thing was always part of her character. The ride-along thing just I think makes it even better, having shown that that was still like a shade of her character, um, even if I was you know not really thinking of it that way at the time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me because I I really would have been interested to see how that would have went in the third season. I feel like we she just would have had less of a presence in the third season. But I also like your this this reference is going to be lost on you. But I know that there's like there was sort of a similar arc on on Buffy the Vampire Slayer with with Cordelia, who was like my favorite character from that show and was like the mean girl who sort of had an arc of like getting more in with the nerds. And then over time, like she dated one of like the nerdy boys that were part of like the main cast abandoning all semblance of like social structure and like kind of breaking down her status as the mean girl and not caring about her popularity after a while. But then (laughs) eventually the nerdy boyfriend like cheats on her and like, it's really awful. And she kind of reverts back to being a mean girl for a while, but we still see sort of those shades of her evolution that she had. And then eventually she kind of comes around again by the end. So like, I feel like it would have been a similar arc for Liz where, like, we probably would have seen less of her. And I think she still would have probably, like, happily made fun of Peter with uh, with the mean guy, the mean crowd again. But I think all of them have toned down enough this season that it probably wouldn't have been as bad. And I'm sure we still would have seen little um, seeds of her, like, still showing some affection for Peter over time after the the wounds healed a little bit. Would have been interested to see that, but I feel like that's probably what what we would have seen going forward. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see less of her. I'd want to see just as much, and I would want to see her be specifically mean. Like (laughs) she, she deserves to. No, not not even like not because I not for that reason. Like I think she would. It would be sad, and it would be upsetting, and I think it would be genuinely mean. But I think that's probably what would happen, and I I would hate for her to sort of be like sidelined even a little as a result of this. And I actually think it would contribute to me probably feeling better as a whole. If what ends up happening is like, she swings back in the other direction and you're sort of like, Whoa, okay. Like that there that is, you know what I mean? Cause it, I mean, because you're right. I mean, she was a mean girl for sure, but like it nearly disappeared like yeah, yeah. that, you know what I mean? So if it swung right back, like then there's, there's a certain sense of balance that for me, I want to see, like, I want to see that balancing of the scales, whatever that means for what type. I I think this is, this is a clarifying conversation in a degree as far as like personal preference, but like, I want those, those scales to be balanced. And I think that would have done it for me for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
man, Liz Allen, man. This is her last scene. And it's amazing how much conversation we've generated from this character. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, and honestly, I think doing this podcast, like, I liked her and was surprised at how much I liked her when I first watched the show. But doing this doing this podcast, I think, has given me such a deeper appreciation for how interestingly she's utilized in this show and how, like, how much dimension there is, at least in terms of, like, her dynamics with other characters. And it's just, like, never would have gone into the show being, like, Liz Allen's one of the most interesting characters on the show. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no choice but to stand personally. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. I love, I love Liz. I, I fully agree. <sighs> well, anyway, farewell, Liz. We hardly knew thee because we cut to after school where Peter and Gwen are meeting at ESU. They kind of briefly share notes on their breakups. Peter says Liz, you know, didn't take it well, which is true. And uh, Gwen unfortunately says she hasn't broken her off with Harry yet because she can't actually find him. And then, because there's not enough pain in this episode, they go into the lab and find the doctors Connors packing up their things. Martha explains that they're actually leaving the institution to continue their work in Florida. She says that Miles Warren will continue running the lab and that, you know, hey, you two can learn a lot from him. But then ominously warns them, don't learn too much. Yes, I love this. I love the Florida reference. It tells me everything I need to know about where the doctors Connors would have ended up and what the storyline or at least where the storyline for that would have picked up. Yep. And I love to see it. Yep. 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 Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular and up patrons, Katie, Joe, Greg, Mike, Flux, Eric, Carl, and Lily. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries, where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. Well, later on, Spider-Man Returns to the Osbournes, Justice Norman is actually receiving Mencken's address from a Gargan. So, seeding villains for next season already, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Immediately, Spider-Man thwips away to that address. And meanwhile, you know, Harry is like, hey, let's go to this helicopter I ordered. And Norman's like, excuse me? Um, <laughs> but sure. uh, yeah, yeah. Harry's like, you know, I hope you don't mind. I wanted to go. I figured we would want some FaceTime with Mencken if he's the Green Goblin. Oh, and also, by the way, I can fly a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I like that. I like that interaction because because Norman's even like, who's going to fly this? And Harry's like, you I am. You made me learn how to fly this. Yeah, like, that's on you, dude. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Which also is I don't another know why clue. you're surprised. <laughs> is another clue about Norman too. By the way, the fact that he made Harry learn how to fly a helicopter. No, the fact that he didn't like that he like didn't. Know oh yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. But yeah, so they Spidey goes to the address specified with the helicopter not far behind. And Spidey finds Mencken there moving his belongings into a very big and green apartment, which Spidey, you know, is like, interesting how this is green, Mr. Potentially Green Goblin. And Mencken's like, I don't know, it came that way. Oscorp rented this apartment for me and I'm moving into it. That's not weird, dude. But of course, that seems suspicious to Spider-Man, especially because security at Oscorp couldn't find Mencken's file or personal info just the day before. So, hmm, that makes absolutely no sense. So, of course, Spidey accuses Mencken of being the Green Goblin. Mencken's like, I have no response to that, which I love. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, He's so kind of nonchalant about it. But yeah, so the two are then, out of nowhere, showered in a purple gas expelled from the apartment's ceiling. So apparently this whole apartment being rented and Mencken being moved into this apartment was all just one of Green Goblin's traps. So Mencken is knocked out by this gas and Spider-Man is struggling in it as the Green Goblin arrives. So here's a question for you. Yeah. Initially, when I first watched it, I was like, so what's the point of Mencken in all of this, right? Because we do end up seeing that the Green Goblin arrives, like you said. Um, And then largely... Aside from serving the purpose of letting kind of everybody know soon enough in a couple beats or whatever that Mencken can't be Goblin, he serves the purpose of trapping Spider-Man. I've quite like I'm a little a little foggy on like there's a little bit of a timing thing here that I just want sorted, I guess. Okay, because there, I guess, would have been time to get Mankin set up in this new apartment. But like, I guess the, the, what we're to understand because there, we haven't mentioned these things, but throughout the, throughout the episode, Green Goblin will like drop a little line where he says like wheels inside wheels are in motion or like the plan is whatever. You know what I mean? So Mankin was just like a contingency plan for like how long? (laughs) Like, Like, uh, I don't know. There's something there's something about it that I am just like a little confused about, I guess. Oh, I think um, that I think it's just that this Green Goblin is like chaotic evil, right? So a lot of this is just chaos and I think he's just part of it I think is just fucking with Spider-Man, but also recognizing that Spider-Man is formidable and survives a lot of stuff and even though he sets Goblin is setting these great traps, I think he's aware that like Spider-Man is probably going to survive this, but if there's like 7,000 traps everywhere that I'm continually setting him, setting him into, all while kind of fucking with him psychologically by presenting these different red herrings and making him confused and like kind of off his off his game a little bit because he's he's thinking that he he's on the right track and absolutely isn't. Eventually, just for probability's sakes, one of these things is probably going to kill him. I think that that's all it is. I don't think that there's really a definitive plan. I think it's a lot of just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And the Mencken thing was probably being planned at the same time that Goblin was putting a bunch of pumpkin bombs on the Osborne balcony. And like, if Spider-Man died earlier, then cool, that's fine. If not, then he's got the Mencken thing to fall back on to trap him there. And if that doesn't work, then everything that happens during the, the final fight sequence is what he can fall back on. Okay. Yeah. I think that that works in terms of what we find out about the goblins whole plan later on too, like how they explain, how they explain everything 
is to just the way that Goblin's planning process works, which is just just do everything and stuff will eventually work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's knockout gas, so obviously Spidey is kind of out of it. And Goblin takes advantage of Spidey's condition to begin to attack him. But just as he delivers the first blow, Harry, as he says it, cowboys up by flying the helicopter into the windows of Mingan's apartment and breaking all of them so the purple gas can, like, you know, be, be sucked out or just dissipate in the air. Which is just, like, wild. Like, damn, Harry, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to dwell on that. <laughs> <laughs> That is a wild move, dude. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, this this assault continues uh, on Spider-Man. And Spidey begins to fight Goblin back. He sees Mencken wake up and is like, okay, so Mencken's not the Green Goblin either. And Goblin's like, Mencken, seriously? You bought that? Which is also, I think, kind of pointed to the audience to be like, ha you, you know it wasn't going to be fucking Donald Mencken. Really? Like, come on. You know that that was a red herring. We all know that. And the, uh, the two begin to clash throughout the city, and there's tons of glider and pumpkin bomb damage, and this, this fight is just going to go, just go all to hell. <laughs> uh, yes. This, yeah. It, this, this next sequence is pure chaos. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are a bazillion pumpkin bombs that have been stored in water towers that have pumpkin bomb cannons that just fire at him constantly as he swings through the city. There's an army of pumpkin heads with the, the, the like grenade launcher things we've seen, but they're not actually grenades. They're like those spiky ball sort of mace things. They're shooting that inhibitor prototype goop everywhere along every side of every building. And I mean, Hey, this is the best like obvious use of CGI animation we've seen thus far. Yeah, that's very true. In a show that has a terrible record with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's good. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I think this is just this is just an interesting, interesting observation, but like if you compare the 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 two season finales, the first season finale, like most of the climactic stuff, if not most of the episode, takes place during the day, um, which I think makes sense because it's a pretty hopeful ending to it. This mm-hmm. one the majority of the episode, and especially this whole fight sequence, all takes place at night and has a pretty downer ending to it, um, yeah. which I think was very intentional. So we do see that from the helicopter, Harry is sort of like putting the pieces together. You know, he sees that it's not Mankin. He is believing it's not him. He believes it's not Norman because he's sitting right next to Norman and he sees the Green Goblin. And so he's like, well, by process of elimination, like – could it be mom? Um, and he turns to Norman and Norman gives like the most amazing face in the world. I have a question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Was Emily Osborne being the goblin, like an audience joke when the first season was airing or is um, this purely like a thing that like, I'm, if you remember, like, I'm just curious, yeah. it, it sort of feels like the type of thing that was included as like a nod to a wild fucking theory that was going around. No, so this I feel was, like you even made a joke about her being goblin at um, one point. I did, but that I don't think that that was a joke on the internet. This was that was planned to be a thing. So actually, I have a quote about that about okay. Emily's inclusion. So basically, uh, this isn't part of the quote. This is just a sort of paraphrase. But Emily was sort of what actually purposeful in a meta way planned to be a red herring for the end of season two. Like they had the uh, the full goblin mystery plan from from before the show even started. So Emily was intentionally included in part 
to be a red herring to make people think that they were playing a trick by like including her and never having her talking to basically be like, wait a minute, I think we're smart. Like to make people be like, I think I'm I'm doing a smart thing by noticing that they included this character who's never been included in any Spider-Man iteration, rarely ever exists and never talks like, and they're trying to think I don't notice it. That was intentional. They knew people would think that, um, Mm -hmm. it isn't just that I will say, because that's kind of like a shitty reason to invent a character. I will say that there is also like justifiable reason. And Weissman had a quote in, in I think it's an IGN article that I'll, that I'll link to, but he says, um, it's actually regarding the way the Spider-Man universe was built is that at some point it starts to feel a little artificial that there are only single parent families in the Spider-Man universe. It seemed obviously essential that Peter's single parent was Aunt May and that Gwen's was Captain Stacy. It seemed very essential to their characters. So one of the reasons to include Emily was to create a little more, ironically, diversity by having a two-parent family there for once. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so like that, so there's like a justifiable reason, but then it's sort of like, okay, but actually... He says, I still knew from before day one what I wanted to do with Harry and Norman and the Goblin. So having that in mind, we intentionally wanted people guessing about Emily so that we could do that in this episode. So I don't think that's like a meta reference to the fans. I think that's a meta reference to themselves for knowing why they created Emily in the first place. Gotcha. Or not in created, like included Emily as a, as a living character in the first place. Sure. For the record, um, Emily being a red herring is one of the things I think they could have entirely done without, even though it is sort of like a... Oh, I think it's so fun. Like funny, funny I thing. I love it. I love it. I think it's great. I get it. I get it. Like, I, I don't think it's necessarily... I don't know. Like, I... I uh, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm a little confused as to, like, why this is here. And so that's why I was like, is this, like, a thing that people were doing? Like, where they were sort of like joking that she was more significant than she was and so they made her like a really obvious red hair like i don't know i just was like trying to figure it out i think it's i mean it's literally just to be extra confusing and just sort of in a kind of an old school like agatha christie novel kind of way where it's just you have a shit ton of potential suspects and they lay out who all the suspects are very early in the episode and they're just going down the list and it's like okay it can't be you it gotta be you it can't be you it gotta be you and i think that that them calling it out in this moment is like the final like well shit like if they're gonna call if harry's gonna call out it's obviously can't be her because they wouldn't like call their shot like that so what the fuck is going on like i think and i think that works really well and i think that 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 only work i think that that works better with this number of potential suspects. Like, I think if Emily wasn't a red herring and they took that out, I think that there would be too few because then the only other, like, the only other one other than the obvious Osbournes is Donald Menken, which I think is meant to be sort of like a very, the lowest tier of a red herring. Well, why do you say that? Because Donald Menken, like, it, there's no character investment, so it doesn't make any sense for why he would be. But he's also, like, been enough of a presence that, like, if it was like a shittier mystery novel or mystery story, like he would be a good choice, but it's better written than that. And Emily Osborne is the complete opposite side of the spectrum because it's sort of like, like I think, so like I think having those those four characters gives you a good variety of suspects because Norman Osborne, you have the meta level of knowing he's the goblin in the comics and him also just being suspicious. Harry, you have the knowledge of him supposedly having been the goblet in the first season and the sort of like, well, they wouldn't repeat that, would they? But maybe they would thinking that we don't expect them to repeat it. With Donald Menken, then you have sort of like the lower tier one where like you're kind of like aware as an audience member that he's kind of there just to sort of as filler for the mystery, like in the way that like 
if you watch like a Scooby-Doo episode, it's never going to be the creepiest, the creepy janitor because it would be too obvious. Um, so that fills that role. And then Emily is sort of um, the other role in the middle of that where it's like you're questioning like, am I smarter than the writers or are they smarter than me? Am I so smart that they I caught into like <laughs> this thing that they haven't been naming or are they aware that I'm going to catch into this thing that they've been playing in the background and using that against me. And sure. and I think all all of it is just thrown into generate just general confusion. The whole point of this episode, I think, is to make you as confused as possible. So when you finally get the most obvious reveal imaginable of who the goblin is, it's still like a weird surprise because you've been so confused along the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that. That checks out. I'm certainly not smarter than the writers. I'm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not either. I I was convinced. I was convinced that I had gotten it, and it was definitely Emily. And I I thought, which I thought at the time, I was like, that's really genius that they're gonna like make it Osborne's wife. Like that's cool. That's even like kind of feminist because now the Green Goblin's a lady. Like that's wild. And then um and then when it's like when they call it out, it's like wait shit like it can't be Emily so is the goblin just a fucking robot or something like that's where my brain was at that point yeah yeah (laughs) this uh, I'm short circuiting to be totally honest I think that's the point that's the point of this episode if that's the point of the episode like then then it works and I have no complaints I'm just exhausted yeah I think that's how it I mean this is I I've watched this episode like multi, like millions of times and I've ruminated on it for like 10 years so like that's what but I do think you're supposed to kind of be going a little bit insane after watching it because it's like dude what cuz that's the only way to make a green goblin story like interesting at this point is to just make you fucking baffled by anything that's happening for until the reveal happens. I I mean I don't know if I would agree with that, but I hear I hear what you're saying as far as like why it's structured the way that it is, and I wouldn't argue with the result of the structure and the situation they're setting up doing what what it is meant to do, mm-hmm. which is to just beat the shit out of my brain. But but I but I wouldn't agree that the only way to make a green goblin story interesting in 2010 is to do this. Okay, not the <laughs> only way. I think the only way, but I think I think you're very limited in, in if you're trying to replicate the mystery of it. Well, actually, I mean, I have a quote about that, but I'm going to say I have actually I have a long quote about the making of this whole mystery, but I'm going to save that sure. until we get to that point. So we'll we'll get there because I have additional thoughts about that, I think. So is it Emily Osborne? I don't know. Uh, who, how is this, is that possible? So back to the fight, Spider-Man finally falls onto a nearby roof and Goblin uses his glider to blast him off the side. And I think that's, uh, there's like a point, I think Goblin punched him so that he gets, Spidey gets like a, a hole in his mask. So it's like very reminiscent of the uh, torn up like costume that Peter has at the end of the first Spider-Man yeah. movie. Which I dig, I dig. That's the first time we've really had like his like mask damage on this show, I think. And it's good. I love it. It's a nice, nice like finale vibes from that so spider-man's like fed up now obviously he's just been like punched in the face and had his costume ripped all the shreds so he manages to recover land his web on the back of goblin's glider and in what i think is a really cool sequence he's kind of pulling his way onto the goblin while they're like flying at like lightning speed through the city and there's a really cool like sequence that i love where like Spidey does this, like, flip in the air with a flying, like, falcon punch onto Goblin's, like, face, knocking him off the glider. But then Goblin does, like, a flip in the air and eventually lands on the flying Gobbler, like, midair right after that. Like, it's so cool. Then we we transition from that to the big moment where in the middle of the fight, 
um, Spidey, like, gets onto Goblin with the glider, like, on top of him, webs onto the Goblin's mask, pulls it off, and then finally, in real time, reveals the identity of the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn. Yes. Which is weird, because we already have a Norman Osborn. (laughs) (laughs) So, obviously, this is bizarre in Universe 2. When the unmasked goblin passes the helicopter that Harry's in, Harry turns to the Norman that he is sitting next to very questioningly. Like, what in the world is going on if you're here and there? Norman insists, like, well, obviously it's an imposter, Harry. And for a second, (laughs) Harry's like, oh, yeah, well, (laughs) of course. But then he remembers something that for him clarifies the situation. The night prior, Norman, he says, apologized to Spider-Man. And Harry says, Norman Osborn never apologizes. And so this makes him confident that if there is an imposter, it's not the one he's sitting next, or it, it, it is the one he's sitting next to. And he reaches to tear off the mask from the Norman Osborn he's sitting next to, revealing that it is the chameleon. So funny story, as a couple, a few episodes back, I remember being like, like, yeah, I think everybody from the first season has reappeared in the show in this season at this point. And I totally forgot at the time that Chameleon had not appeared at all. Yeah. And it's so it's so funny that, like, they they hold him until until this episode. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought of him either. Yeah, totally forgot, which I think is kind of genius. This is and this is just a funny little tidbit, too. Well, okay, no, you know what? I'll get to that. Let's let's go through this 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 whole explanation thing because the chameleon's like, I didn't sign up for this. Which you know, yeah, being in a helicopter piloted like by a sixteen year old following like a superhero supervillain match, like understandable, dude. So he's like, bye, bails and parachutes out of the helicopter. Spidey sees it and is like, it was chameleon. So you are the real Norman, and the real Norman was the Green Goblin all along. Um, so Norman's like. Okay, fine. I'll explain everything. And we get a whole series of flashbacks while they're fighting in midair, mind you. A whole series of, of flashbacks literally explaining everything from the first season and, and how Harry ended up being framed for being the Green Goblin. So uh, before we lay all that out, Doug mental brain check in. Like as you're watching this, like where are you at at this point? Like is it just like what the fuck or is it just like like, I don't know, what, what's your, like, instant reaction, like, before it's explained? Or is there even, like, enough time to even think about that before it's all, like, kind of explained? Um, when I was watching it, I was really excited by the fact that there were two Norman Osborns. I was like, okay, all right, we're on to something here. Like, this is what I'm, I'm this, for me, could sort of, like, reinvigorate some of this Green Goblin stuff that I've sort of been back and forth and back and forth on. And when it was so quickly revealed to be the chameleon, like that was a bit of a letdown. Really? <laughs> really? I thought it was genius. Because it was immediate. And so like the the fact that I was excited about there being two Normans, I was like, ooh, I can't wait to hear about how they planned to play with this. And so then like learning right away, like seconds later that they didn't plan on playing with it, like... like here's your answer i was like oh i wanted to play with that (laughs) um i was just telling you what i thought while i was watching it yeah and that that's what i thought while i was watching it chameleon himself like didn't necessarily make me feel anything i was like oh i mean okay that makes sense um and so then i guess at that point i was just like waiting for them to kind of tell me what what the deal was Mm -hmm. okay 
like I said, there was a I I watching this and then being like, okay, we're gonna talk about this now. I was like, there is a lot of pressure on me to get this right, and uh, and I'm clearly, I mean, I'm not. Oh, there's nothing to get. I mean, there's nothing to get right. It's just your feeling. I'm 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 just curious of like. I mean, I'm only asking you for like mental check-ins throughout just because it's interesting. Yeah, no, I know. it's I, been I, so I know. long, you know, and it's been so long since I watched it that I know my, like, general, my general memories of the big things that I thought, but, like, I don't remember, like, what I was thinking throughout and you, like, literally just watched it. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. curious, like, how, the, how that, like, what, because, like, this episode is presented to be such a roller coaster in your brain if, you know, if you're along for the ride and, like, paying attention, like, we are for this. So it's just interesting, um... It's interesting to like, hear where you're at with yeah. this more than, you know, most episodes, if any other episodes. Well, and, and the only reason I say it that way is like um, of like, quote, like getting it wrong is because I feel like I've had a relationship with the Green Goblin stories for this whole series where for some reason I haven't been able to align my reactions and feelings on it with what the writer's crafted as the intended experience you know what i mean um and i think we could we could follow the breadcrumb trail all the way back to when we talked about green goblin the first episode this has always been like a weird dissonance between how i'm reacting to what they're doing and what they probably wanted me to be experiencing Mm -hmm. i mean this is clearly just sort of like in line with that and like i don't know how to reconcile that Mm -hmm. and i don't know where that necessarily comes from or what the the sort of like dissonance is but i mean i i was i i I guess it was happening here too where the things that i the things that i was seeing that would excite me weren't the things that were supposed to excite me and then so the things that were supposed to excite me ended up not being as exciting which i think probably explains a bit of of what I was wrestling with with the original Green Goblin stuff in this series where I was like, I can't quite figure out what they're crafting for me to experience. And it doesn't feel like I'm like riding the ride correctly. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, that's a new analogy. That is not a callback because <laughs> everything you're saying makes sense. I'm not I like, I, I can't and wouldn't try to argue with what you're saying for the sake of argument. Yeah. And so so then it's sort of like, okay, how do I how do I get myself into the same sort of place that aligns with that? And that's sort of I think reflected in the like, ooh, I'm excited that we have two Norman Osborns. I can't wait to see what they do with it. But that wasn't really the thing I was supposed to be excited about or like knocked out about. Supposed to be excited about and knocked out about the fact that like they brought Chameleon back mm-hmm. to make all this possible. You know what I mean? No, I think that makes actually. I think putting it that way explains a lot because I think you're like you're interested in different things than what the show kind of wants you to be interested <laughs> in. Like I never in a million years would have been excited about the prospects of two Norman Osborns. I would have been like, why are there two Norman Osborns? That's what I'm. That's what I'm interested in. What? Imagine the wild shit they could have done trying to figure out two Norman Osborns. <laughs> But that's the other thing is that I, I, I but that's the thing about this show too that that I think I'm seeing as um as as kind of a, a a downside to it is that and this isn't really on the this isn't the this isn't even really the fault of the creators this is just the fault of them not getting enough episodes per season not even just regarding the cancellation but the fact that you know sure. they oh they I would are agree with that for 13 sure 13 episodes per season and I really think yeah. that they have enough story for like yes. double that. 
um, per season. Because what I would say is I would have liked to see Chameleon once between then and now. <laughs> Yeah. Somehow, some way. I'm glad. (laughs) See, but for me, I'm glad that they I'm glad that they didn't because it's enough time to forget about him. So you don't even consider him in the mystery. So I and I think that he's a genuine surprise in this episode because you're not even factoring in the possibility of somebody because I think that like. Oh, no, I get that. I wouldn't have wanted to see him necessarily close to this episode, but integrated in some way, just literally to remind me that he existed. Like, I'm sorry, Chameleon. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So that like that was one of my react. I was like trying to remember. I was like, am I forgetting a point when like I was racking my brain to be like, was there a clue that I missed? Was there something along the way that like I wouldn't have noticed at the time? And they kind of point to one of them, but I don't think you can actually draw. I don't think you can draw the conclusion <laughs> of the two characters existing in one place and just automatically be like, one of them's obviously a chameleon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you threw if you threw enough darts, you'd hit it. But yeah, I don't know. All that to say, I agree with you. Like, I would have loved for each one of these seasons, especially because because this is a for me a thing I I have had such a difficult time getting on the same page with the Green Goblin stuff. Would have they could have expanded some of these stories so much. I said that with the Venom one too this season too. I felt mm-hmm. like that could have been its own three episode arc. Um, I can only imagine how some of this stuff uh, would have been served by more time. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you there. I do. I think we, I think we just feel differently about the chameleon stuff. Cause I, I, the thing that I think I find really, I found really joyous about this episode personally is the fact that like, it is almost impossible. I think to put the pieces together on your own until it's explained to you. And and you can take that either way, I think, because I think that there is also a joy to being able to put the pieces together along with a mystery yourself. And then, like, when the reveal happens, like, there's the satisfaction of, like, okay, that all makes sense. I figured out the clues were there. And this one doesn't really go in that direction. This one is less interested in being, like, a mystery novel type of setup in that way and more in just trying to make you as confused as possible and forgetting and, and not, like, thinking of anything. So then when they reveal stuff, it's just like, oh, my God, what? That was even possible? Which, you know, are two very different ways to kind of handle a mystery. So, you know, I think I think it make, I think I understand more, like, where you're coming from, though. I think your expectations for how this is all – not expectations. I think you're, like, what you're interested in in seeing all of this layout is just, like, not aligned with, like – what I was excited about with with how this all played out. Expectations was always hard. Even when we talked to like even when we talked about the Harry unmasking, we talked about expectations too. And I remember sort of just being like, I mean, I guess it's expectations, but like I don't think I'm expecting anything necessarily. Like I think they're playing with our expectations, but I don't think I walk into these stories being like, well, I really hope that it's this yeah. and then judge my my satisfaction based on that. I think what ends up happening, and I'm realizing this only as we're talking about this right now, probably in part because of this chameleon thing, I think what ends up happening is they're showing us things and I'm like looking at the wrong thing. Yeah, right? Like yeah. It's like they put up an array of, of shapes and one of them is bright red and the rest of them are gray. And I'm like, look at that gray one. It's a star. And they're like, there's a red button right in front of you Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like that's the only explanation i can think of i love this show i think it's brilliant and i think the writers are brilliant too i don't know if i'm ever going to fully be able to explain like what about the green goblin story you know this from beginning to end of everything we've seen i've just struggled to get aligned with (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think i think they just they tell they they tell the goblin mystery stuff in a very particular way i guess and it's just like not a thing that like works for how you like 
see things, I guess. I guess. Well, but it's also hard, too, I think, because I, I could see it being a thing that comes up in other situations, but because I don't have as much of an attachment to what we're talking about in those situations or don't think about it, then, like, I might come over to your side much more easily and then it doesn't feel like you're crazy for not like paying attention to what you're paying attention to. It's just like, oh yeah, that is kind of weird. And then we move on. Like I think with this one, I've spent so much part of my life ruminating on this stuff and being attached to it that like, I don't think it's possible for me to come over for your side just because I've spent so much time here. You know, um, well, I should clarify, like, I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I know that, too. But I mean, but I think I understand your perspective on like really like mechanical, like technical terms, I guess. But like, sure. I think in a lot of other occasions, I feel like there probably has been stuff where maybe you're not aligning with what the writers say and probably the same for me, too. Well, maybe Liz, honestly, Liz and Gwen, like I constantly feel like I'm supposed to be rooting more for Gwen and Peter than I genuinely feel like I am. It's true. Um, and, and I think it's based on what I've been shown. Like I joked about like the shipper thing, right? Like I just, I just am a Liz Stan, which, you know, to a degree, clearly I must be, but I, I, I do feel like in, in some of these moments, I don't feel like I'm like crazy and seeing things that like either aren't there or are like different than they appear necessarily. I think it's been. An, this is no idea. This is no, but this I is, don't know. This, no, dude. I think this has actually been kind of an enlightening conversation for me because I think it's like weirdly like a microcosm of any of like the sort of conflicting opinions that people have about media in general, where it's just like I fully don't fucking understand how you can think that this is good slash bad and you can you know bend over backwards to sort of explain like well you have this kind of experience and your tastes are this way and like you you've consumed this type of media beforehand so you're more accustomed to this but like fundamentally like everybody's brains work differently everybody's like perceptions of things are of reality are always different right so like there are going to be some things and i think often surprising that like there's just no way for you to get lined up on either what the creator was intending for you to or how other people in the audience are seeing it. And I think like, it's probably extra weird on this podcast because, because normally like we're pretty aligned with like how we see stuff or if we like have differing opinions on things, it's usually just like slightly tweaked or something, or it's like very obvious why one of us is interested in it and the other one isn't. And I think this is one of the rare circumstances for us where it falls into that weird gray area where it's just sort of like, there's a kind of just sort of an, is kind of an unexplainable like like ethereal thing where it's just like for some reason this is just not clicking for me and it's clicking for you and there's no way to, to uh, no way to explain that and and that's not it's not an indictment of the show they're they are incredible creators <laughs> like, yeah incredible no i don't think i don't think you're explaining it as poorly as you think you are okay I think cool, it's, cool i think it's just hard to <laughs> ex- stop I, trying <laughs> i think it's just hard to explain i think it's hard to explain like how brains perceive things. Like I thought it all comes out to you, honestly. Sure. But yeah, so there's actually not, not that much of the episode left. No, um, episode's sure. almost over. So we go through, it's, it's, it's a rapid fire array of flashbacks to primarily to the uncertainty principle from last season. So um, we do see a couple things that we didn't see. Of course, Norman's like, I invented the globulin green. I took it in small doses in gaseous form 
to increase my like agility, intelligence, strength, and all doing it with no blackouts or loss of control like Harry had. Um, I love the little like zoom ins and outs like on his like shadowy face that they do like when they go to flashbacks or this first flashback. Mm-hmm. Um, it's menacing, m- menacingly done. I do think it's kind of funny. It's like a criticism that I have that's also not a criticism because it's necessary. But it is funny that like Spider-Man throughout all of this, Spider-Man and Goblin or Norman are like having this like knockout drag out battle in the sky. But like the voiceover is just like, so yes, so I did this with the uh, Goblin Green and then this happened. You did that? Wow. And then it's just like, you guys are literally punching each other in the air, but okay, it's fine. Yeah. It would have been annoying if they were like out of breath while explaining all this. So I get it. Then they jump to um, the moment where Norman and the Green Goblin are face-to-face in the Uncertainty Principle. Norman's like, I was the Goblin that stole the inhibitor inhibitor prototype. And through a sheer stroke of luck, imagine by surprise, when I see Norman Osborn there, it was Chameleon disguised as Norman who was there to steal steal some, some information for a competitor. Just happened to be there. So that created the perfect defense against suspicion, just again by sheer luck. But since he made that connection with Chameleon, he decided to hire him this week to appear as Norman just to keep Spider-Man confused and set him up for a fall, just to fuck with everybody. Then Peter brings up that Goblin crashed, limped away, and Norman's like, yeah, dude, I fucking faked it. It's easy to fake a limp. And then he went home, found Harry passed out from the Globulin Green, which we saw plenty of that happening last season. So he pieces together like, oh, okay, this is why Harry's like really good in school and football now. He's fucking dosing on my on my drug. But this is perfect. So he swaps Harry's clothes for the goblin costume. And then <laughs> he literally twists Harry's ankle while he's unconscious to mimic the injury that Norman faked earlier. Fucked up, man. Yeah, that, like, ankle twist thing, like, fucked, like, fucked me up so bad when I saw it because it's so, like, dark. And I don't think you have a minute to really ruminate on it because they cut so quickly from that to everything else. But, like, that's fucked. That's fucked up. It's it's super fucked up. I mean, Um, all of this. I mean, obviously, framing your son for being, like, a supervillain is fucked up. But, like, for some reason that the visceralness of him, like, actually, like physically assaulting his son while he's unconscious to frame him like is just like awful in a way that I'm surprised that like it was allowed to be on this show honestly yeah well I mean it does the thing that what show not this show what show have we talked about where they 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 imply violence that they just don't show and oh, so you kind of like fill in the blanks. It was actually on a Bug's Life on um on our Pixar oh, podcast. Oh yeah, that's right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. It was a, it was a Bug's Life. This does the same thing where it's like you know what he's doing but they if you just watch the scene like as it is shown to you like they don't show you anything. They don't even really make a weird noise like it's mm-hmm. just hairy. Yeah, they they insert Harry like grunting with it. Um, right, like there's not an ankle crack or anything. That's true. That like, would you don't been you so don't even tech. Well, that's what I'm saying though. Like you don't see it and you don't hear it. You don't even you don't even technically know what he did. Yeah, like you you fill in the blanks. <laughs> yeah, which make I but I, and I think that you're right. I think that makes it much more visceral by having you fill in the blanks. So Spidey's obviously like horrified that Norman framed his own son appropriately norman claims that it's like no it's because i protected harry because if i went to prison who will make a man out of him and you know spidey's like like what what are you what are you crazy and the thing that i really love that i think is a twist of the knife here is that norman like references how harry is flying a helicopter cowboying up breaking windows of the helicopter he's like look at what he's done today i've never been prouder of the boy 
I know that it like doesn't make sense, but I would like to believe, especially since we never see what comes after that, I would like to believe that Harry heard him say that. And for Harry being that like well done son kind of like archetype of like constantly wanting to make his father proud, the fact that like this is the moment that he finally hears his father tell him on like uncertain terms telling someone else especially that he is fundamentally proud of him for everything he's become i think yeah. like makes a lot of sense for like the tragedy of how this episode ends mm-hmm. i think it's i think that's really really brilliant but yeah but spidey's like dude fuck off you're just protecting yourself are you kidding me and norman's like i mean uh but either way <laughs> once you're out of the picture i'll make everything right so, yeah, so Spider-Man catches one of the pumpkin bombs that Norman throws. He, like, uses his web to attach it to the back of the glider, which, like, blows it out, which means that Norman is out of control and crashes into one of the water towers full of pumpkin bombs, resulting in a massive and very extended explosion with Norman right at the center, um, which <laughs> Harry witnesses in the helicopter in, in horror, and Spider-Man even hears Harry's cries for his dad. Yeah, so we get, I mean, we're, we are sort of, it feels weird to say coming back to because we haven't seen it on this show, but sort of, uh, it is a familiar circumstance since we've referenced, you know, movies and other, other properties before, getting that sort of Harry seeing Spider-Man responsible for the death of his father. Yep. Um, before we get to this very last section, because there's not much, there's very, very little left, um, I have a, a few, like, just like fun production things that are sort of interesting. I'm just going to zoom through it a little bit. I just uh, think the thought process behind doing all this with the goblin was sort of interesting from an interview that, um, that Greg Weissman did, if that's cool. Cause he does specify that he knew they were going to do this whole goblin bait and switch thing before they even started season one. It was always going to be Norman, but his reasoning, which is what we've kind of talked about and postulated a bit, um, he says that like Green Goblin in the comics was introduced as a mystery. And for most of our villains, we introduce them ahead of their villainy, like like Otto and Flint Marco, since their villainy is like usually second to their introductions. Um, but for the Goblin, he said it seemed more important to find a way to reproduce, if not the exact same mystery that existed in the comics, at least to reproduce that feeling of uncertainty. Hence the title Uncertainty Principle in the first season. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, he says, obviously, when the whole world knows from the comics and movies and animated series that precede us that Norman is the Goblin, it's kind of difficult to create a mystery around the question of who is the Goblin. So that was a challenge they faced. He says before production even started and he was doing research on the show and kind of laying out season one's arc, he came up with an idea that he admits was a phenomenal risk. He wasn't even sure if Sony or Marvel would let him do it with this whole like long game with saying that Harry is the goblin for a long time and then not until the end of the second season revealing that that wasn't the truth. And he, he said, like, even like unlike making like Montana the Shocker, even that to me seemed kind of outrageous. So we just crossed our fingers that we'd get at least two seasons so that we could, in essence, create two seasons of mystery around this question. So we tried to play fair and plant all the clues that you saw in those flashback scenes in Final Curtain. Lay it all out there so it was all there for folks to see, but really lead them down a path that Harry was the goblin. And it does admit that, like, it would have kind of sucked that if you ended in season one thinking that Harry Harry was the goblin, it would have, like, really sucked and been bad. But he's glad that, that, you know, they made it all the way to the end of this season. So, you know, that's all stuff that we've kind of touched on, but, like, we were right that they're trying to just reproduce the the comic book mystery of the Goblin just in kind of a more abstract roundabout way here, I guess. But, yeah, this is wild. 
<laughs> I have a couple other things, not to just be talking like forever in this one moment, but this is really also the kind of I think the best place to bring it up. So I just wrote down a couple of things when I re-listened to our Uncertainty Principle episode that I just thought were kind of funny. Um, some of the stuff we've already brought up, like referencing Harry's mom being the goblin. There's also one, Norman has a line in this episode where he's like, tells Spider-Man that he's going to, that he's setting him up for a fall. And you say about yourself that like maybe thinking about having these expectations about the show is setting yourself up for a fall. I thought it was funny that it's like an exact line from this episode that you said back then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting too, um, there's a couple of bits they don't bring it up in this episode, but if you go back and watch the uncertainty principle in the scene where chameleon is Norman, when he like goes into Oscorp, everyone is surprised or like the security guard is like, wait, Norman, I thought, I thought you were already gone for the night. And then he like, is clearly like acting kind of suspicious about like, oh yeah, I'm here for this. Like if you watch it back, like it's very clear that like it's chameleon kind of making it up as he, as he goes along playing Norman, which is kind of cool that, that the seeds are all there. Also, we reference how when Norman is explaining, like, uh, in that episode, explaining, like, yeah, well, clearly Harry just manifested the Green Goblin from his subconscious. Um, even reference, like, the whole explanation is a little telly, not very showy. It's kind of, and I think you say specifically, it's weird because he's figuring it out right then and there. But it's funny because he literally is just actually making up the entire story right then and there. Um, yeah. Also, just one last thing. I think it's kind of cool. This isn't meant to be a clue or anything, but it was. it's more kind of for fun when you go back and rewatch the show. The episode, in The Uncertainty Principle, Black Cat is, is introduced in that episode. Like, she's not fully introduced. We see a cameo of her, and then she is fully introduced in the next episode in Persona, right? And we reference that. Like, oh, it's funny. You see Black Cat in the episode before she appears. And then in this season, she shows up in opening night. Um, in the episode after it, we see Chameleon. Back in the first season, we saw Black Cat appear in that Uncertainty Principle episode and then appear fully in the next episode alongside Chameleon. And then if you go back, Chameleon is appearing in the Uncertainty Principle as Norman. So you see a mirror of Black Cat and Chameleon appearing in, in, in an episode together and then, you know, appearing like next. And then it's like, and then you see Black Cat in the episode before this and then Chameleon in this episode. Like, I don't know. It's not just to make a lot more sense in my head than it did when I explained it. But it's more <laughs> like the connection between the two, I think, is kind of funny because there's the parallel in the first season. Like, like oh, yeah, they're like... Black Cat and Chameleon appearing in the same episode has actually happened, like, twice now. Anyway, anyway, that's all my extra stuff. Um, we can move <laughs> on with the episode now. <laughs> so we have two scenes left. Kind of kind of two endings to this episode, really. After a funeral for Norman Osborn, which we, I mean, we know just happened because they're in a graveyard um, and they're all wearing black, right? And there's, like, somebody walking away with, like, a... a fancy funeral hat on <laughs> um <laughs> harry gwen and peter sort of like linger at norman's uh plot and harry says that you know norman was sick and i know that because i i was sick i was addicted to that stuff it's it's not right that spider-man did what he did he should have helped my dad not and he doesn't say this but killed my dad and that i mean that's that's rough <laughs> yep. and it's sort of um, at least one of the kinds of things that, uh, if you're aware of other other Spider-Man stuff, like is familiar, right? For familiar territory for Harry, so he ends up turning to Gwen and gives her a hug. And oh, remember when we said red flag, red flag, red flag, uh -huh. like over and over and over again? Uh -huh. uh, turns to Gwen, hugs her, and says, "You know, he's so thankful that she is in his life and that she is the only thing keeping him 
from turning back to the globulin green, which is nothing but manipulation. That is all that is. That's like it that's is, no. That's just like just a tiny little step away from saying you'll you'll kill yourself. Yes. If, if someone breaks up with you, like it's, yes, it's the same bullshit. Like oh my god, I hate it so much. Yeah, it's terrible. It's really awful. It is in context though, because the next thing he says is. Hey, you know, I, I I got your messages. Was there something that you needed to tell me? Um, and this is all calculated. Like it all goes from one thing to the next because, of course, those messages were her trying to get a hold of him yeah. to break up with him. And he knew that. We He heard – he overheard right. that that was going to happen. So Exactly. So he <sighs> sets the stage for her to feel terrible and feel responsible – incorrectly responsible for his well-being and then asks her this question – and so she and Peter sort of like share this look of like, oh, oh, no. Um, and so Gwen turns back to to Harry and says like, no, don't worry about it. It was nothing. And the two of them walk off together. Oh, man. It's, you know, for the teen drama stuff, brilliant. But God, oh, God, it's so devastating for this to be the last that we see of, of their love triangle thing. The last we see of them in general, but like especially the last that we yeah. see of all this romance stuff is like they're all in like the worst possible places. It's oh. rough. Rough. Yeah, yeah it really Especially is. I mean, and and you probably I don't know, I kind of expected something to complicate this based on the fact that after Peter broke up with Liz, it made sense with what was going on, but the but Gwen said, like, no, I couldn't find Harry. So I was like, I feel like this isn't going to turn out the way that they're expecting it to. Yeah. I couldn't have expected this, but I definitely did not expect for both of them to be able to cleanly break off their relationships with their significant others in this episode. Both. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised if, from the writer's standpoint, they were kind of sort of maybe banking on people expecting this to be a Gwen death episode because it is Gwen involved oh, in God, the Green Goblin. Oh, God, I don't Goblin. have all that energy. <laughs> well, no, I'm glad. I mean, obviously, I'm glad that that didn't happen. And I don't think I don't think that that was ever going to happen. But I yeah. do think that there's always any time you have Green Goblin and Gwen involved in the same story, especially when, like, I'm sorry, but even, you know, that's it's it's a really easy, shitty women in refrigerators bullshit thing. But it's like as soon as, you know, as soon as. The girl and the boy find happiness. The girl dies. Like, that's a very well-trotted trope, and it would be very easy, you know, to expect that. to. I mean, I the writers are good enough that I don't think they would ever do that, um, at least not in this way. But, like, it would be an easy thing to expect a lesser show to do. And I think that they were figuring that, like, that's going to cross your mind. Because <laughs> it definitely did cross mine when I watched it originally, you know, because you always expect one to die, so... I I'm happy to declare it did not cross my mind at all. I didn't think it would for you because because just be, you know just because I think we've we've figured out that like these writers wouldn't be so crass to do that honestly. So yeah, so that's sucks. That's tragic. That's the last we're gonna see those people. Yay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know we get a, we get one little brief like little mini soliloquy to Spider Man where it's just like well. This all sucks, but, you know, the Green Goblin's gone, so at least we got that going for us, right? And the episode ends at an airport where the Connors are getting ready to depart for Florida, very sadly. As they leave, we see a man named Mr. Roman board for a plane for the Cayman Islands. When an airline worker apologizes to Mr. Roman, he turns to her and replies, No need to apologize. I never do. The last lines of the series. 
from definitely not Norman Osborn. No, but he's blonde and has a mustache. That doesn't make how how could he be? And, and Norman Hawaiian, never wore glasses or a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, yeah. Woof. Okay, okay. Face of the episode, and then I guess we got to have final thoughts somehow on all this stuff. Um, <laughs> face of the, we already referenced the face of the episode. It's it's the face that Norman slash Chameleon makes. Just the shrug of just utter confoundedness when Harry suggests yeah. that maybe the goblin is his mom. It's incredible. Yeah, it's no, great. it's really good. <laughs> it's such it. a good face. I like that you uh, invoked the emot- the shrug emoticon. Not the shrug emoji, the shrug emoticon, because it is perfect yeah oh, uh, that'll for this definitely be on the website and social media of course. not writing any other caption for it <laughs> i'd be upset if it were anything else yeah. <laughs> oh man oh my god look you know what despite this maybe not landing with you the way that i was hoping that it would and i was i was really hoping like maybe this will absolve all of the frustrations with the uncertainty principle and Grigamo stuff in the first season obviously didn't do that but despite all of that it is like a nice weight lifted to have it finally like be all out there. So if we ever have conversations about it, I don't have to lie anymore or be like obnoxiously <laughs> coy or be worried that someone like on our social media who like hasn't listened enough to our show will make some like stupid comment sure. that like spoils it for you too. Like that's never going to happen. And there's no other show I think where like where like one of us has seen and the other one hasn't where there are big enough spoilers that we'd like care that much, you know? Yeah. Like this one, I think is really the only one where we were both really cautious about making sure that you weren't spoiled on anything. And I, I, I admittedly am like glad there aren't other shows like that because it's hard. This show has its, well, I mean, it's hard, but like this show already comes with a certain amount of pressure. It being a show that is well regarded mm-hmm. and that you have a strong admiration for there's already a bit of pressure right to be like oh god like i i hope i like it <laughs> you know what i mean sure, yeah. and i know there's pressure on your end or at least anxiety that is like oh god i hope he likes it right um but then i think there's also the additional pressure of um i guess like always coming in blind in a sense mhm that I think would probably happen with any show. I think with this show, part of the part of it is the fact that that it has this air of being very intentionally crafted, right? Yeah. So technically, because it is art, you cannot consume it incorrectly, but you kind of can. Like, and I <laughs> I I I don't think anyone's telling me that I am doing it wrong, but I do think if you are crafting a story in a particular way, you want there to be revelations and you want there to be sort of those types of things. So, you know, there's there's that sort of pressure too. I do think there was always sort of like a um, judging this show. I think I even said this at one point, judging this show only against itself, right? Like, because mm-hmm. if, if I judge this against everything we've watched, I'd never have any complaints because I'd be like, well, this is leaps and bounds above everything else we've watched. So there was sort of that pressure too of like always making sure I was like meeting the material properly. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Um, so, like, yeah, I would say there is a bit of a weight lifted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is also a weird episode to end on because it's not supposed to be the end of the series, right? It isn't, And yeah. so, so having to come up with – and I don't know if you're even necessarily asking this, but I think it's a natural place to go. Yeah. Having to come up with overall thoughts for an entire series that along the way I've almost constantly loved – with an episode that I don't is a really weird place to be. Cause it's like, well, this isn't meant to be the punctuation for the series. And so there's like a, an extra step of making sure that it isn't treated as such. 
in sort of like parsing things out. I don't necessarily think a conclusion, even of a completed show, necessarily should dictate the entirety of the show. Yeah. But it's inevitable to a degree when something is sort of your last hurrah um, to consider it significant. Yeah, I think it's also significant that like the majority of us who watched it watched this episode assuming that there was going to be a third season. Like it was a long time after before it was actually officially canceled. So right. nobody was watching it with the weight that you've had to put on it when watching it. <laughs> and I think more than, you know, and even to people who are watching the show now and discovering it now, if you're just watching it on DVD, it's still way different than watching it like week to week with like a year break in between oh. seasons like we have watched. So like okay. I feel like you're in a unique position where – I don't know if anybody in 2020 is watching the show in the way that you have had to watch it. So so here's the thing. I referenced thinking that the way that we watched this had some kind of influence on my experience, right? Mm-hmm. This is the perfect time to reference that because it's a kind of what you're talking about. I do think that watching this show the way that we did at the pace that we did doesn't necessarily serve the best some of the stories they were telling and i think some of the stories they were telling and this one in particular probably actually is served best by a habit that wasn't even common which is binging the whole thing yeah because i think the space between the two green goblin things i get it right i get that it was planned to be that way and i get that it's supposed to be an echo and it's supposed to be revisiting but i actually think some of that stuff would be served being Closer together, not in content, but in experience. And and I don't know, I, I could very easily see people being like, no, because that's not how it was crafted. But I do think that's the case. Because um, we did, yeah, it is interesting because we did watch it with roughly the same amount of time that it took for these seasons to air. Like there was about a year gap in between season one and season two, just like yeah. we had, you know. I think we watched it at a faster pace, I think, than it actually aired, to be honest, because there were breaks in right. within the seasons. So, yeah, that is interesting. Um, I mean, but that's, that's, not, that's, you know, that's not that uncommon of a thing. There are plenty of older shows, older as in, like, pre, I don't know, 2010 or pre-2000. I mean, yeah, probably right pre, about here, to pre, be honest. Yeah, yeah, before, before this where people will be like, you know, that show is better on DVD. You know, that show is better on streaming. You know, that show is better when you binge it. People say yeah. it about like stuff like Lost and stuff too. Like any type of mystery show that like felt like it was going on forever. And then it's like, no, you know what? If you just like watch it all within a few weeks, it actually like the stuff that annoyed people when they watch it week to week doesn't annoy them then. So I think it just fall. I think for you, I think it falls into that category. And I don't really know if it would fall into that with me because – I ex- I've experienced it many different ways at this point. Sure. So like I can't, you know, I can't adjust it fresh. That is an interesting perspective to get from you though, that maybe it just doesn't hold up as well watching it in, in the way that we have. See, that's the thing is like the, watching a show for the first time, the way that we watch it, I am somebody typically, if I watch something, I can then go back and rewatch it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about like 90% of this stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Watching yeah. the show, the way that we watch it, that can't, this cannot be undone. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I will at some point binge this show, but obviously can't like undo the discussion we've had. Like I can't erase it from my brain. And so it'll be interesting to do that with this having happened first. And that is not to say for anybody who is concerned, the result couldn't be the conclusion that like, you know what? I do think that is served better by just sort of like blasting from the beginning to the end of the story. Because I think a lot of the shows kind of like that you were just sort of alluding to I mean, they were they were week to week because they had to be, <laughs> yeah, not yeah. because they specifically wanted to be crafted that way. Mm-hmm. And I think 
and I, you would know this better than I would with like actual evidence to back it up. But I have to imagine that shows that have a larger sort of vision to them and a longer term storytelling plan in mind probably more frequently end up benefiting from a binging format because there isn't that week to week. This is something I remember um, having a conversation with somebody about, and you and I might've even had this conversation at some point too, because I've had it a few times with people, Japanese action shows when they are longer term stories, it's, it's sometimes better to just watch them in batches and to just watch like a mini binge of them at a time because waiting week to week sort of like interrupts the experience. Cause you're like, I don't know if 22 minutes of this at a time is really like what I'm looking for because it's, it's really, like really good, barely but I only happens. get a bite. <laughs> right, right. This I don't know is exactly – I don't know where this falls in that category because each individual episode is obviously very specific in its own thing, but it's also built in arcs. And it's yeah. also knowing that there are stories that are, are planned so long in advance, you know, you kind of have to wonder like would this show almost have thrived – well, the show was doomed based on when it came out, right? Like that's just – yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. Sorry, spectacular. But it makes you wonder, like a a show like this, would it have sort of um, hit different? Not be- not for better or worse, but just hit different if it dropped um, on a streaming service as a whole season the way that shows do now. Right. Weird question because this show isn't like even confined to seasons necessarily in some of the stories that it tells. I don't know. It's strange. It's strange in that regard. I, it's impossible to say. Right. Like. Until I until I get to that point where I just sit down, binge the whole thing, and see what happens. Um, it's also an unfortunate episode to end on because I love this show. And I feel like the way that I feel talking about this episode isn't reflective of how I feel about the show. Which is another unfortunate yeah. piece of this being the last episode of the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feelings in this episode do not reflect my overall thoughts. <laughs> well, you know, go back and listen to like a group therapy or something. Yeah, and, like, you'll... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <You'll> know. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all interesting. This the, the this conversation turned out way differently than I expected it to be. Not in a bad way, just like in a different way. Because I do think that there is. I wasn't expecting a more kind of macro conversation about like perceptions of art and television in general, you know? Um, but I think it's all really, it's really fascinating. Um, I mean, I kind of expected it, but that's just because of where I was sitting kind of knowing coming into this that like, I I had no idea what you were expecting. I know what you were hoping. (laughs) Oh, I was just expecting for like a regular conversation and just talk about the show. Right. You know, um, but this is fine. I think this is a more, probably more interesting, but I, I love this series. I very much appreciate the way that it's put together and the intention and the thought behind it. Um, it is still the best show we've watched for sure. Yeah. I think by, by, by a lot. <laughs> well, by all metrics, right? Because I think, yeah. I think unlimited does things that I can't discount, right? Even though it's a totally wildly different show and successful in, in weird categories that <laughs> I wouldn't expect any of these shows. You just, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. this show across the board, I think succeeds in the ways that you would both expect and need it to. Yeah. And so in that regard, like, yeah, this is, this is the best show we've watched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just no, is. I agree. I still think it is. It's still my, definitely, it's definitely my favorite Spider-Man show by, by a pretty wide margin. I do think that doing this podcast about it has been really fun for me still, even in spite of us not landing in the same places for it. I think it's just because there's so much depth to it throughout it that like, it is such a rewatchable show, I think. Like, and I think as deep as our dive has been in it, I don't, 
anticipate me not ever revisiting it again. Like, I feel like I still will eventually get a hankering to rewatch the whole thing. Even if, even if we never did another podcast episode about it, which I know we definitely will like come back to this in, yeah. in, in different forms. But if we never did, I still would because it is just that kind of show that I think just has so much to it. And, and that's something really special and the fact that like there are my, – my perspectives have shifted on it but never shifted in like, oh, my nostalgia goggles are off and it's bad now. Like it's just no. As I've grown up, I've seen different things in it that I didn't see 10 years ago, which you can't do with all shows. You just, you just can't. And the fact that I think that this one just holds up really well in so many different ways and you can see so many different elements of it. Um, just as a minor example, I think it really – I'm – I never saw the full thematic threads of the first season that we talked about where it's all so heavily about Peter's relationships with his friends and recognizing people in his life that I thought was really important. But at the same time, I also always felt like the second season was stronger than the first season. I don't really think that so much anymore. I think it's stronger in different ways because I think the plots, the way that they handle the large selection and world of characters is really well handled. And I think that I was always really sold on just the wild twists, especially towards the end of it. Like I always really like the final episode and, and you don't feel the same way. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. But I also think that there isn't really a heavy theme throughout the entire season. I think that there are some themes in each individual arc and some arcs are just very much just all plot centered, which I think is still fine. But for me, I like thematic stuff and they're definitely doing a deep dive into it there isn't as much thematic stuff in the season but that also makes me wonder like was every season just always going to feel a little bit different from the last season in some ways like that would have been really interesting to see going forward yeah that's that's interesting to to hear because one of my questions that i was planning to come in with for this episode based on having listened to uncertainty principle where we talked about this or it was at least mentioned was to get your sort of impression and you've sort of laid it out already, which is great. Why this season was more of a favorite for you than the first one or, and maybe this, maybe this is uh, sort of a second part to that. I think you even said like generally considered a better season. I think so. I mean, but I think it's all just because of plot stuff. I think people like the twists in it and people liked how the goblin stuff was handled yeah. and like, and there's just, you know, just some what like, I think there's definitely a lot of, like, um, satisfying stuff as a fan of Spider-Man. Like, people wanted to see Venom come back. He came back. People wanted to see this goblin stuff happen, and they wanted to see Harry not be the goblin. That happened. Like, people wanted to see Mysterio. That happened. Like, there's a lot of that in this season, I think. That is so fascinating to me still, because I know we talked about this and you explained why, but, like, the fact that people were so determined to, like, see Harry not be the goblin is, is forever funny to me. <laughs> um, like who cares <laughs> i don't know there were um, theories online i i didn't i wasn't super in on it like in in all the time but i've read like references to like i know why was like aware of some of the theories online like right from the get-go people were like no there's no way harry is the green goblin and like be- people did people nobody i don't think anybody ever figured it out like actually everything that was happening sure. by the end how, how the hell um, could you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But I but I do think a lot of people there are a lot of people who are like somehow Norman is manipulating Harry into either being the goblin or thinking that he's the goblin but some way he's behind it. So like I think that there was a large portion of people that just did not want to be sold on Harry as the goblin. And I think for good reason, but I think it's it's sort of interesting. What reason though? I mean like I don't know, maybe I just don't care as much, but like I I think it's fine if Harry's the goblin and I think it's fine. One thing I would be worried about moving forward with Spectacular is I think it's fine that Harry gets to this point that we've seen in other series where he like watches Spider-Man 
kill his father, but I would worry about what that manifests as having already seen that story before. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, a couple ways, right? So, like, I didn't dislike it because it all made perfect sense and it was done really, really well in this episode. But I'd be lying if I if I said there wasn't a part of me that was like, wait, so are we just going to get that story now? <laughs> like, yeah. is, that, is that what's going to happen now? Because he, even if Harry wasn't actually the goblin, he was. Like, we got Harry as a goblin and then we got Norman as a goblin. And then it was revealed that Norman was the goblin the whole time. It doesn't erase the fact that, like, the realization or the, like, revelation of Harry being the goblin happened so then Mm -hmm. having that already happen and then wondering again like so then does harry now become the goblin for real like i would worry about that (laughs) um and how already having a revelation where harry is the goblin affects even though it wasn't true affects him being a goblin moving forward hey that's fair i do think that i think that there could be a way to execute it in a way where like it's not a mystery you just see Harry slide into deciding to be the goblin and i think it can still be played very differently if it's Harry making the choice rather than like the, the whole blackout multiple personality type situation yeah no i that don't would doubt also it. be very different for, and i think so like but but i see what you're saying though and and it's unfortunate that like you know we'll never know what the plan was so like it's hard to really know how to feel about it like <laughs> you know i mean i uh, guess yeah. like me worrying about it doesn't mean it can't be done it just means yeah. that when it happened i was like huh you know like yeah where would they go from here and so i think for an episode that is meant to make you feel very strongly like i think it's only natural to then to then yeah. wonder that whether we got the product or not i do feel like i get the sense that this was kind of the end of a of, of an era of the show like i think that that going forward the show would have been very a very different kind of show and that's not that's not based on anything like because weissman's has always played kind of very coy about it it's like sure. i have a whole list of stuff that we'll do in a spider bite that's just about all the plans that like have come out but it nothing is like general like plot stuff really it's mostly just like lists of things that would happen to people who would appear and there's still a lot of it but like nothing that's like really substantial enough to really get a good a good sense of like what types of stories would have been told Still, I just feel like the way that this kind of the status quo was sort of upended in in all in different ways in this episode that weren't in the first season in the same way. I think I get the sense that like it just would have been a very different show moving forward in a way that like I would have been excited to see, obviously, and I'm sad that we never got to see. But I'm also sort of like, I mean, <laughs> I could also just imagine that it would have been the best best show ever knowing that. Like, it's weird. Like. I'm like, it, I'm kind of weirdly comfortable the best with it show ending. Ever. <laughs> I, I'm I'm almost kind of weirdly comfortable with it ending here, not because of the events of the episode, but more like this. There was going to be a, a big shift after this, so at least like we saw this era complete of this like f- these two seasons that were all telling like a pretty solid story, and I and then I think like the third season would have been kind of the start of sort of a new story anyway. I mean, it doesn't not like it brings you comfort to it being canceled here or anything, but that is something that like I've thought about where it's sort of like there are worse. Pla- I guess there are worse places it could have been canceled, I guess. I don't know. It's just it, it's just unfortunate all around. And it's a great show still like it's still a really good show. That's that's where yeah. I land. <laughs> I hope. Gosh, I mean, I don't know. I hope people realize that I can think this is a great show and like not like the Green I Goblin stuff. Think you've, <laughs> I think you've made that. I think you've made that very clear. <laughs> I'm just concerned because this is the last, like, regular episode of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we have stuff planned. So 
that's that gives you a good reason to visit our Patreon in the very, very, very near future, because I already know there's definitely going to be a spider bite that we're going to do. That's just about all of the future plans that have um, not leaked, but that have just been made available through various interviews in the last 10 years. Um, like I said, it's not going to be it's not anywhere near substantial as like the Spider-Man Unlimited stuff. It's all just kind of a lot of tidbits, but a lot of the tidbits are very interesting, and I think will very be very fun to just sort of like ruminate over and talk about and stuff. A lot more light than this, and I think that that almost might be a more fun capper to the show than this episode was for us because it'll just be like just a lot a lot more hopeful talk in general um, about what the show could have been. Sure. And I have I have some other ideas for future stuff too. And we'll definitely we've already talked about ways that we might revisit the show in the future. So this is not the last that you'll hear us talk about it, even if it's the last episode that we're doing for now on the main feed. But definitely check out our Patreon to get those episodes that are gonna be coming out very soon as you're listening to this. Patreon.com slash walloping web snappers, and you can hear those episodes at any level, even at the one dollar level. But in the meantime, if you'd like to hear more of our hot takes about shows, I guess. <laughs> Ew. Hear more. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, if you want to hear more of us just talking about how much we love Spectacular Spider-Man, where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. Also, if you like Pokemon things, you can find me on another podcast here on the 4 Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. If you like books, video games, and dabble in other pop culture, you can find me on a podcast called Novel Gaming, where my friends Vicky, Katie, and I catch up on everything we've been reading, playing, watching, and can't get out of our heads. Derek, where can people find you and the things you're working on? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube with my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. Um, you can also check both of us out on our monthly podcast, Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, where we're watching every single Pixar film chronologically. Our episode that's currently out, as you're listening to this, is on Toy Story 2, and it's very good, so you should check it out, available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us on our website, wallopingwebsnappers.com, for a full archive of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at wallopingwebpod, or email us all your thoughts at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. This episode generated a lot of thoughts for you. We would love to hear them because we definitely had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of wild thoughts. So love to hear from you as well. It would also be super helpful to us if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. It makes it uh, much easier for people to find us. Uh, So if you like what we're doing, I'm sure other people do. So help us out by giving us a rating and review there. Next week, this is this is quite a pivot. uh, But next week, we're gonna be we're gonna be heading to Justice Magazine to go on an adventure with Jessica Drew in the first episode of the 1970s series Spider Woman. In the episode entitled Pyramids of Terror. I can't wait. I can't wait. That's going to be so fun, man. Yes. <laughs> See you there. See you then.
<laughs> just do it. We're on Works. the same. We're on the same wavelength. It's cool.